everybody. It is Downloads Are Forever, or whatever title we decide to call it this week, because, well, if you've been listening, it's been technically three different titles. It was, uh, for your ears only, a James Bond cast, and it was temporarily 007, a James Bond cast, while I tried to figure out a new title. And thankfully, our friend Jeannie, uh, she offered up Downloads Are Forever, so that's what it is for the moment. Uh, we're going through all the Bond movies. Um, I decided to compress it a little bit, because it turns out we don't have a whole lot of time. Uh, to get these in before the Kaiju uh, podcast that we want to do. You know, Godzilla's coming out, uh, I believe, in March. So instead of two episodes about Roger Moore, um, John and I are going to be doing... Ha- say hello, John. Sorry, I'm not even letting him talk. Hey. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> uh, we're going to condense all the Roger Moores, which is for the best, because there's a chunk I am miserable as hell. <laughs> um, this is my Bond, though. This oh is the one God. I grew up on. I, I will say this at the start, and this is I think will be controversial for some people. This era blows. Like there are there are two really good films in here, and then there are okay films, and then there is utter trash. Oh fuck! Towards the end, man. Oh my god! I can't believe they didn't pull the trigger and just get rid of them towards the end. All right, so um, we just came off of Diamonds Are Forever. Which um, is a confusing mess, but it was nice to see Connery back, and it kind of has a goofball charm to it. Now we're starting over fresh. We got Roger Moore coming off of the Saint, older than most of the Bonds, um, which will be a problem a decade from now. Um, I feel that there's a goofier quality to his era, not so sinister and oh. sleek murderer. Yeah, this is definitely the. Uh... I don't want to say family-friendly Bond, Almost. but this is the one where there is there is hum- there's a lot more humor. There's a lot more, uh, a lot in a way, with the exception of maybe the, with the exception of the last one of his thing. I don't think these are as violent in a sense. No, this is the closest it gets to being a comic book, basically. Yeah, and that's and I can respect that in one way. If you know, but I think as we go through this, you'll, I think you might get to where. I why I've come came to that conclusion. My controversial. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed the first two Bond movies I ever saw were these two uh, that Roger Moore starred in, uh, Live and Let Die, and um, The Man with the Golden Gun. And so they're near and dear to me just because I'm so used to them. I know that they're not critically well loved, but I think they're very sleek, very lean, um, just cuts to the quick. Whereas it got really excessive, and God, these movies got really long in the 80s. Um, yeah. But it nearly oh, killed God, the franchise. Yeah. They really did nearly kill the franchise because it didn't separate itself far enough from the pack. You know, action movies were starting to up their uh, quality, and, you know, Bond was no longer, you know, first in its class. It had some competition, and I think maybe that's why it was falling apart a little bit for a little while. You know, those first two movies, well, you know, didn't do very well. Well, this... Well, these films definitely, they're reactionary to kind of how in our last episode we're talking about films that became, you were inspired by Bond and were their own, not necessarily their own things, but some of their own, some of them were their own things. These, a lot of these films are inspired by other movies and popular trends. Like Live and Let Die is very much a black exploitation film. Very much. But with Bond. Right. Trying to think, you know, Moonraker. When we get to that, is Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the. Oof, oof. 
All right, so um, it seems like a lot of these start off with another 007 being killed or somebody that's close to Bond being killed, and that's how he starts off on his mission. And not even really driven by, uh, you know, his government mission. It's more personal, a lot of these, during the Roger Moore era, it seems. Well, it's like, it, with this one in particular, Live and Let Die, there's a lot of really good stuff in this film that it's just... For me, it falls apart in his last third. So the, there, and, the gadget, the gadget of him yes. blowing up, is the most ridiculous thing in the entire series. Oh, well, no, it's it's not even just the, the you know, the, him blowing up uh, Yafet Koto. It's the uh, Louisiana sheriff. Oh my God! That, I forgot, uh, yeah, how can I forget that? That was that's Clifton the most ridiculous Jones. moment. Totally ridiculous. And it like the entire film is fine. I love this film. Until you get to that point, and then the film just completely nosedives for me, where I'm just going, because I mean, if Yafik Koto's amazing, Jeffrey Holden as Baron Samadhi <laughs> is fantastic. My God, I want an I want another film just with that character. <laughs> I just want to see him. He has presence. He's amazing. Yeah, I. You know, it's funny is for the most part, I only knew Jeffrey Holder from those. I'm pretty sure it was Doctor. Pepper? I mean, it was 7-Up. The Encola. Oh, yeah, so that's 7-Ups. The Encola. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just... Yeah, the man is... You know, is... I just want... I think I just said it already, but the man is presence. He is just... I You, you can't not watch him. And that little tease at the end of the film where he's on the train, just laughing his ass off, and it's like, sequel, sequel. Put him in on the next one. Yeah. I don't need Jaws. I need him. <laughs> um, I think I think the appeal of New Orleans, you know, because they're always trying to find new exotic locations, and sometimes they don't really do a good job of capitalizing on what it has to offer. Like, I think they failed horribly in You Only Live Twice by showing us China. I just thought it looked so dull and flat, and they didn't really get into the culture as well as I thought they would. And I think they do an excellent job in Live and Let Die, like really presenting like the oddball corners of New Orleans. Yeah, because you have... You kind of get the uh, kind of Mardi Gras-esque stuff, and then you you also have just just that uh, the voodoo culture that's down there, and just kind of it it feels much more alive than many of these other locations. Mm-hmm. You know, even now, even in some of the more recent films, you don't get as much life in some in some of these locations as you do in Live and Let Die. Yeah, and and like you said. Um... Yeah, Fat Koto is one of the best villains, I think, in the entire series. That's the other thing about Man with the Golden Gun, is they're excellent villains. You remember them more for that than the actual plot. Um, who is the Bond girl in this one? Is this the one with Jane Seymour? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, so she was a really good Bond girl. Sadly, I, I don't know why I lost where, which movie she was in. I thought she was in the next one, but I'm wrong. But that's pretty excellent. Um, and it also has an extremely memorable theme song, uh, sung by Paul McCartney and Wings. So some of these are... More opera, not opera, uh, Broadway style, whereas Living Let Die was like, yeah, this is about now, this is a rock and roll song, this is pretty damn good. Yeah, it, I'm not a particularly big fan of Wings, and I, I'll say this, I don't like this song, but this song is, I don't want to say is one of the most Bondish songs, but it's one of the songs that lives outside of Bond. Right. I mean, obviously, Rose's cover and all that, but I mean, this song, I listen, I've heard this song maybe over this last weekend, like three times on the radio. 
Yeah, the one thing that always just, bugs yeah. me about Wings is that you think you're getting one song and it keeps changing and changing. Um, one of their biggest ones, God, it was like, um, uh, not Band on the Run, it was like Jet, Jet. Um, I thought the major was a lady, but they keep repeating it over and over. I was like, first off, the whole subject matter is stupid, and, and you just keep repeating it over and over and over again. Yeah, it. I, I could wade into another controversial uh, topic, but this is a bomb cast and not a music cast. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to get to a music cast. I was just talking to someone about that. Um, that's not the point of this. Okay, so I say thumbs up to this one, even though you're right. When when he get down, like he's got that big old big piece of chaw in his mouth, and um, it, it derails right there. Yeah, I'll say, you know, Great performances aside, I do kind of feel, and a lot of stuff, it's like, I'll give it a thumbs up, but it's a teetering one almost, because it's like, it doesn't stick the landing. Yeah, I thought the gadgets but were good. There was a couple, oh, there's, one of the best things in this film was that speedboat, little speedboat race. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, until, until of course, you cut to the sheriff. <laughs> but that actually has, that had a Guinness Book of World Records. I almost wonder if someone saw this movie and said, hey, we can make that the whole movie, and that turned into Smokey and the Bandit. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, second one, uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Extremely memorable villain. Great setting. Uh, her villages was a lot of fun. And um, this one, the Maud Adams, I'm pretty sure Britt Eklund's in this one. She's the one from a Wicker Man. Um, I know people don't yeah. like it. I, they say it's one of the worst Bonds, and I'm like thoroughly entertained the whole way. It's one of my favorites. Well, it's another film where it's got some of the best, you know, you know, Christopher Lee, you know, so you have this great villain, but the story is just boring. It's, it, the problem is it's like, there's so much, you kind of, I kind of wish that it was the test of, you know, test of skill between Bond and, and Scaramanga as a, as opposed to Scaramanga is just kind of doing things and Bond is kind of, you know, being reactionary to his his plot, mm-hmm. not them going head to head until obviously the end of the film. Right, and, and you know, it's basically the most dangerous game, just a really elaborate of the, a version of the most dangerous game. Yet they give no credit, but it's clearly that's that plot is lifted at the end. Oh, definitely, definitely. The uh, I'm trying to remember, I remember he had that giant cannon. I always thought it was ridiculous when you see old laser <laughs> laser blasts. And just the, the I was like, oh, that's just like the most poorly drawn uh, blast. But that's all the technology they had back then. They didn't have any layers they could add until Star Wars a few years later. Yeah, but then again, that's also a little more accurate to uh, to the science of it. You necessarily, unless you're putting like a like you know uh, you know like gems into it to actually show you a laser. Mm-hmm. It's just light, just concentrated light. That's true. Uh, now, one one thing I do, yeah, go ahead. I I do have a couple. There's a I have a couple of notes for all these films. Yeah, go ahead. But this one in particular, I do have, I do have a couple of things that I found very interesting, because I, in the middle of the film where we have the uh, the car chase where they do the corkscrew stunt and that slide whistle happens in the, I went, what the fuck. <laughs> I was pissed off when that happened. Just, just by going, you no, no, you do not do that to me. <laughs> slide and, whistle. Why don't I um, remember the slide whistle? Was it, oh, in the in the, in the soundtracks. Oh, 
in the soundtrack. Not it wasn't a plot yeah. device. Okay, it's, gotcha. It's, it's in yeah. It's actually in the score itself. Yeah, where, I remember that now. As the car drives, all of a sudden, slide whistle, <laughs> and the, yeah, the director apologizes for that constantly. <laughs> he, hey, he is so sorry that he did that. God, I saw that but, in uh, uh, Halloween um, Five. For some fucking reason, have you seen Halloween Five? By the way, no, I haven't. Okay. There's two doofus I, sheriffs never... that show up. And they literally play a little sliding flute and takes you completely out of the movie. You forget it's even a horror movie. You expect Burt Reynolds to come around the corner pulling off the Mike Myers mask. Nah. If anybody, uh, you, uh, you, you seen uh, that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> okay. But this was also going to be the last Bond film. What? Why? Because it did okay, but not well enough. And then there were so many issues... Uh, regarding Spy Who Loved Me, uh-huh. that basically this kind of, this one almost tanked the franchise. You know, it's funny is that not a lot of people remember that um, there was a three-year gap, whereas there was only a one-year gap between Live and Let Die and um, Man with the Golden Gun. Literally, like, just like 16 months. One was summer, one was Christmas, and then all of a sudden you have to wait three years and I remember reading into this, they were like, do we just keep making the movies, but with a lower budget, you know, just to milk it for all it's worth, like they did with almost every franchise back then. Look at all the classic ones, especially Planet of the Apes. The budget got tighter and tighter and tighter as the series would go on, and it yeah. would bring in less revenue. But they decided to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. They did, like, what was it, the Fast and Furious franchise? Because, you know, they could have milked that for a little while longer, turned into a direct-to-video series. You know, we'd be on Fast and Furious 18 with uh, uh, Victor Webster or something like that, and Michael Madsen. But they said, look, let's uh, spend some more money, let's crank the budget up, let's bring the stars back. And that's kind of what they did with um, um, The Spy Who Loved Me, is they went from like a $10 million budget to a $20 million budget and really brought in a spectacle. And, but that's not the reason the movie's great. The movie's great because they really pinned down Roger Moore's version of that character. Sadly, that would last for one damn movie. <laughs> and it's, it's really entertaining. And this, this is where... I start to apologize to everyone who started listening to the podcast, and I said the Russians really weren't a uh, part of the franchise because I went. I think it's only maybe three or four films total that they were in, mm-hmm. except for the fact that uh, Walter Gotell's uh, character, General Golgo, who starts shows up in Spy Who Loved Me and goes all the way through all of Roger Moore, rest of Roger Moore's films, and the first of uh, Dalton's. Right, he's the old bald guy, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our our good old uh, kind of nice, not not a great, you know, hero heroic character. Uh huh. But at at the worst, he kind of seems like a, you know, smile and a wink. Uh, Fun opponent. rivalry. It is glass yeah, nose with yeah, a little bit of rivalry. Yeah, we don't hate him, even though he is. A villain in maybe, I think, what, two of these? Or at least villain-ish? Yeah. And he softens. By the time you get to the end of Roger Moore's run, he's, he softens quite a bit. That was also, yeah, it, well, actually, it's not, uh, not uh, with View, but the one prior to it kind of surprised me is I'm, I, that was very much uh, Russians are the bad guys, except Russians are not the bad guys. Yeah. Well, well ugh, that's the head scratcher of all of them. Octopus, he's so odd. Um, 
Yeah. Spot Who Loved Me. That's uh, Carly Simon does this one, uh, theme song, which was a huge hit outside of the movies, too. So there's like uh, maybe a handful that were just massive successful. And if you didn't know, you wouldn't know they were from a Bond movie. They don't feel like a Bond song. Yeah, nobody does it better. Very, not as much like uh, some of these other ones where, you know, you got the title in the song. Right. This well, actually, I think this one does have the title of the song, but it's not oh, it does. Yeah, as right, right. obvious as... Yeah, it's not part of the main chorus. It comes in, like, towards the end of the song, I think. And I remember this song, uh, I used to have a baseball tape about bloopers and little, like, crazy stories in baseball called Funny Side Up, where they played this while they're doing these amazing plays. And uh, I didn't know it was from Bond for a while. I was like, oh, well, hold on a second. <laughs> um, Great Gadget is the underwater car. Yep. Um, we have Richard Keel as Jaws, and uh, just I heard he's the nicest man. That's yeah, I've heard that too. It's, and he and he seems like it really does seem like this, and especially in Moonraker, he is having a blast. Yeah. Even well, though apparently those uh, those grills in his mouth were excruciating. Oh, they probably were. Um, you know, it's funny is he was also probably grateful that he was in a big budget movie because. If you look at his filmography or anything that played on Mystery Science Theater, he would pop up on a regular basis. It was almost always very low-grade movies. And we're talking like probably under $250,000 budget kind of movies. Uh, Ega, anybody? Have you seen Ega? I have not. Uh, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, he's a caveman they find out in the the desert when they're doing some dune buggy... uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember he was just like... um, just this rotten caveman that wanders around this suburban neighborhood and causing chaos. Kind of like a Frankenstein character. He's not really evil. It's just people misunderstand him. Uh, Human Duplicators, I remember he was in. He's in uh, some rip-off Star Wars Italian flick with Carolyn Monroe. I think it was Carolyn Monroe or Barbara Bach. Barbara Bach. Yeah, for the most part, it was just the two Bond movies and uh, Cameo and Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Oh, it, Cannibal Run! It, it can't, How did I forget that? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He's in Cannibal Run. The juxtaposition of him with Jackie Chan was always fun. <laughs> but this is one where I did take a, I had a weird note. Uh, Kurt Jurgen's uh, Kurt uh, Carl Stromberg has his little, you know, base, uh-huh. and I just look at it and I just think it's the Legion of Doom headquarters. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I thought that too. I was like, huh, Justice League of America. I'm almost certain. Or no, ju- uh, Super Friends. <laughs> Super Friends, yeah. Is this the first of the franchise to go to the Middle East? Uh, yes, yes, it is. It's such and a, it also was... all that, like the uh, the big uh, light show that they have at the pyramids. Yeah. At least according to what I read, and I don't know how recent that was put, but apparently that they still do that. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it seemed like the late seventies, early eighties was crazy about the Middle East. Like, it seemed like every action adventure movie was set there. Like, we're talking like Jewel of the Nile, Indiana Jones, of course, um, Iron Eagle. Uh, basically, any sort of treasure hunting movie seemed to be set in the Middle East, and you don't see movies about that now unless it's about terrorists. But back then, it was like this wild, exotic location, and um, just people really hadn't seen anything like that before. So I'll give credit to that movie for really uh, bringing it to the mainstream. Yeah. And this film has the best opening, at least at this point and through Roger Moore's films. He, this is the best opening of any Bond film. Yeah. Well, that, that skiing stunt. Right. And but they try to repeat it later in View to a Kill, and it doesn't work anywhere nearly as well. Oh, no. I think it's funny. Uh, let's, oh, the gun, 
the gun barrel sequence that they did for this one uh-huh. is ha- it gets reused in all the other subsequent uh, Roger Moore films. Okay, you know what's weird is it, it took so, me decades to realize that he was facing down someone else with a gun pointed at him and they shot him and that they were dying. I mean, I didn't know this until about ten yeah. years ago. I don't know why I never picked up on that. It's it's weird because it doesn't track the first maybe like the first couple times you see it. Just kind of like a weird, you know, just just weird framing. Uh-huh. And and then as you start, as you get older, you start catching on to what it is. It's like, okay, I see what you're doing. I know we talked about this before, but when did he ditch the hat? Oh, that was a while ago. Okay, so it was, before, I, it was Lazenby, right, that ditched the hat? Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. Just checking, because I feel like, I remember I thought it was after just the third movie was when he ditched it, but he's told me it went longer than that. So most of Connors runs the hat. And that's kind of an old school version of, you know, dapper, debonair, uh, killer. But I was thinking, like, it seems like all those movies during this era was about, you know, they always see, like, the scheme, like, ew, the super rich, they're all scheme. And that's what they mean, like, Hot Dog the Movie and Ski School is about, like, basically Caddyshack <laughs> of scheme. Like, it's like, we're not rich, we're not super stuck up, but we love skiing too. And then the 90s were like, screw your scheme, man, we got snowboarding. Awesome. Well, well, that's... Well, I, we've already mentioned a few to the kills opening anyway, so yeah, yeah that's the uh, where snowboarding started to become a thing. So they immediately jumped on it, and you had that, which the snowboarding stuff is really good. All the stunts there, it's just they throw Beach Boys over it. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. That's totally and you wanna, out of. And you no. want to punch whoever did that, right? <laughs> uh, but I just keep thinking about the fact that Triple X was trying to prove that they were like, yeah, man, Bond is stuffy and old school, blah, blah, that, man. We're going to snowboard, but we're going to snow on, snowboard on, like, dining trays. Dinner trays, I mean. Oh, you said Triple X. I was thinking of our agent Triple X. Yeah. From this one. Um, <laughs> Triple X. Let's, let's talk about this real quick, um, which is supposed to be the uh, modern-day remedy to all the Bond movies. And um, it's weird that the series started off god-awful, piece of crap, and it somehow got better as it went along. I just flabbergasted. They make less money. I don't but... – I, I didn't see the other two. I kind of – well, I should say, when I saw it, I kind of liked it. I thought it, was, I thought it was fun on a dumb – in a, you know, dumb sort of way. Yeah, it just feels like rap didn't metal. Other... You know, it just feels like the worst. Now, we're not even talking like Limp Bizkit. We're talking like fucking – uh, not Limp Bizkit. Um, Mushroom Head? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of something. Weird. It's like the Insane Clown Posse version. <laughs> I just I can't stand it. But the second and third one, I'm just I'm shocked that they were completely ignored since the first one was so huge. I like Ice Cube as a spy. I thought it was a good idea. The action sequence at the end with him and William Defoe is fucking awesome. And the third one says, hey, look, we got Vin Diesel. Nobody likes Vin Diesel. They like the people around Vin Diesel. So what do they do? They hire this cast like Donnie Yen... And that girl from Vampire Diaries and other people, and they're really good. It's a fun movie. Well, I'll give that one a I'll give that one a try since yeah, it's from you the, know what the heck it, it's from it, the director of um, uh, uh, Eagle Eye and uh, Disturbia. Okay, okay. And and apparently would... he was supposed to direct GI Joe three with that script, and then they said, well, we're not going to get this you know going because Dwayne Johnson won't sign the contract and lock down to it. So they rewrote the GI Joe script. Um, and then just modified it over to triple X. Uh, that 
maybe that's maybe that's why it's a better movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge G.I. Joe fan anyway, so I kind of feel like, oh yeah, Donnie Yen, he's totally supposed to be uh, Snake Eyes or Storm Shadow. <laughs> oh, with uh, in Spy, uh, Spy Who Loved Me, that scene where you have Farber Bach trying to uh, trying to drive stick, escaping from trying to escape from oh, Jaws, yeah, yeah. and she just keeps messing up. That wasn't scripted. She oh. can't drive stick or couldn't drive stick. So all the all of uh, Roger Moore's responses are not are all ad libs. Nice. He's just making fun of her. She's obviously getting pissed off. <laughs> um, so the next one I think was a huge failure, at least when it comes to a quality script. It has the spectacle you're looking for. Huge special effects, big ideas. I think it was the most successful Bond at that time. But you gotta, it's just like candy, man. It's just like, oh yeah, that's fun for the moment, but man, I don't feel good afterwards. Yeah, my, I, in watching this one, and I, I saw your, uh, you had a little post about, about it. My notes end fairly quickly with, wow, this movie sucks. No, I wait, just, I don't I remember, stopped, did I, I post st- about this? I remember posting about Star Trek, the motion you picture did. recently. Okay. No, you, yeah, you posted because you said, like, this is the uh, lowest point of the franchise, oh, I think. God. No, it got lower. It got lower after I said this. Really did. It got worse. Um, Okay, I I watched this three months ago. So what is Moonraker about again? (laughs) Moonraker, he has to stop Hugo Drax from trying to wipe out the human race and replace them with his own masters. Right, I totally forgot about that. And I forget, I can't really remember what the hell he's doing. I just know that they have the space station and it's... Really bad. <laughs> you know, Kingsman does that same plot way better. Oh, yes. The one thing I do remember, though, I did like was when Bond is talking to Jaws and his girlfriend, his goofy little girlfriend with the pigtails and glasses, and he's like, look, he's trying to build the perfect race. Do you really think he's going to bring you along? He hates people like you. And then Jaws flips on a dime and becomes a hero, and that was kind of a cute moment. I know it's a family. That's when it became a family film. This is when it became Star Wars, but even more kiddie. Yeah. No, there's there's a couple of really oh one. Uh, this is Bernard Lee's last appearance as M. Uh huh. Because he he ended up dying before uh, For Your Eyes Only. But uh, an interesting one thing I found interesting about this was uh, not only was the theme song, but also the role of Drax. It was offered to Frank Sinatra. No, no. What? Apparently, and and also uh, Johnny Mathis also. But I'm sitting there. I'm I'm sitting there thinking about this, going Sinatra. Hmm. The theme could be hit or miss. I mean, he's he's a hell of a crooner, but that thing could have definitely been a hit or miss well, song. But here's the thing: is it's like Dean Martin. Both have the talent to be great actors, but they're always so effing busy that they phone their way through movies most of the time. They're like, I don't have time for the script even, let alone rehearsals and really digging into my character, especially during the 70s. I mean, it was really bad for both of them. They were just like, just bare bones. Just, I'm, I'm here, just to shoot this. Um, and I think I think Frank Sinatra has stopped acting for quite some time when this, if this was offered to him. He hadn't done a movie in like six years. I think his last one was Dirty Dingus McGee, one of my favorite movie titles. I've never seen it, but God, I love that name. But yeah, it's... I. I see. I, I I read that. And just went. That would have been very interesting. I don't think it would have made the film any better. Yeah. Oh, if he could have seen the theme song. But, oh my god. But I think it it would be a much more memorable film than kind of like, kind of just how much no one really likes. Or very few people. Let's just 
there's got to be fans for this film. Well, I remember Hugh, Hugo Drax was a pretty memorable villain, which I think it's funny that he's trying to build the perfect race, but he looked like a meatball. Which I also think of Hitler. Hitler was not a good-looking man. He was not the perfect race, yet he was trying to build. The, it was so strange. But yeah, it's yeah, and it's very his his master race is also very Aryan. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I guess that's not a surprise. It looks like that's what's happening right now with the current uh, Hugo Drax wannabe. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, we got political again. Oh well. Um, at this point, it doesn't matter. Um, all right, so the, the series tries to save itself with For Your Eyes Only. I think it decided that it was getting too excessive, too big. It decides to go back to more of what the novels are. Um, so they trim it back to like a $15, $20 million budget, makes it lean and mean, gives a really good heroine, gives... Um, the problem with the plot is that I can never remember it. It's, it's so basic, I, I feel. The best thing I know yeah. about the song is, is the song, you know, and the fact that they had the girl from Ice Castles in it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not much of a plot. It's essentially Bond has to locate the ATAC, a missile command system, uh, for their like, you know, well, missile command system before the Russians do. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, and yeah, then Carol like, Bouquet's there for revenge plot. for her family, and that's you know, it's pretty. It feels like more of a Charles Bronson movie than anything else. Yeah. Although I will say it's that opening where you have. Not, uh, not Blofeld, uh, character in a wheelchair, uh-huh. who gets dumped down a, a smokestack. I could have sworn that opening happened. Like I could have sworn it was like it was the right after Otter Magic Secret Service. It, the next film opens with, with that. Is this the one with the for rock some, for some reason? Is this the one with the rock repelling sequence where they're fighting? On the ro- I feel like this is the one where they're on the rocks and climbing up. Where they have a fight sequence there? Am I wrong? Uh. Yeah, no, no, this is this is the one that has that. Okay. Sorry, we watched so many of them, like, in a row, and I just kind of blurred them all together. Yeah, yeah, this has this has to be that one. Because... <laughs> Silence. Shit, I don't know. That's okay, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, like, I'm just going to go through my notes. And well, I started, I go, I started thinking about the action sequence. I'm like, no, that's from Vertical Limit. Well, no, that's from Cliffhanger. What the f- I know there's a fucking sequence in this. Where they're called... Yeah. All right, so um, this is the one yeah, that this, I, I remember... A, yeah, this... Yeah, I cannot remember hardly a thing from this movie, even though I know it's better than the last couple. Yeah, it's again. It yeah, this has to be the one because it's also the one with uh, uh, what's your name, uh, Lynn uh, Holly Johnson, who plays Baby Doll. Yeah, it's so wrong. No, just no. Like, this is tried, bad. Yeah, trying to throw herself at him, Ugh, and she's like twelve, yeah, and he's eighty. Pretty much, yeah. You you feel gross about it, and so did uh, and so did more. Yeah, it feels like a reverse Harold uh, mod, and it just doesn't work. Oh, the uh, stunt double, uh, uh, Lyle, uh, Lyle, I can't think of her name. How to spell it? Say her name. The uh, Lynn Holly Johnson. The villains. Uh, no, no, no. The uh, the girl who plays. Oh, I'm pretty uh, sure it's, our I villains, say it's Carol Bouquet. Carol Bouquet. Yeah, she uh, her stunt double when her when her character gets hit by the by the dune buggy, because if you see that stunt, it looks really bad. I mean, you. Stunt double, you know, stunt actors are very good at taking these kind of hits, but uh, she, when you watch this thing, she hits the windshield hard, oh. and you just kind of, you feel, you you feel that impact, and yeah, she got hurt. Yeah, <laughs> when you see when you see stunts that, go wrong, it's so unbelievably painful. I was watching something, I want to say it was called Deadbeat by Dawn. I'm not sure, but it's like they're in this DMZ zone. 
and they got to evacuate before the gangs take over. You know, at night they're allowed to roam free, and, and somebody doesn't get out in time. There's a guy on the back of a truck, and he's chasing him down, and the guy is supposed to jump off the truck after getting shot. And you can see he's going for the jump, and he changes his mind halfway through for some fucking reason, and he lands on the back of his neck instead of his, like, side. And I'm pretty sure that guy's got to be crippled by now. I mean, that, that is so unbelievably painful. Well, oh, uh, this film did save United Artists from financial ruin. Oh, because, because Heaven's Gate was the last beat them up. Yeah, yeah they, they had Heaven's Gate, and this made them all the money. Yeah, well, I thought Heaven's so, Gate uh, destroyed the studio. For the longest time, I thought that was the end of United Artists. And I didn't know that when Ted Turner bought MGM, he couldn't have the Bond movies because they were technically part of United Artists and they were just distributing through MGM. And then it wasn't until the 90s is when they formed all that together. Yeah, And, and with this one, uh, they weren't sure if they were going to get more back. So they had a short list of potential Bonds, which included James Brolin, uh, Lambert Wilson, and Timothy Dalton. Lambert which, Wilson, you mean from The down, Matrix? No, no. No? Lambert Wilson, I could have swore he's one of the guys that explains one of those long-winded guy. what the fuck are they talking about speeches in The Ma uh, Matrix Reloaded. I'm looking this up right oh, now. Lambert like, Wilson. Like he was the yeah. Well, let me say this. I, as you're looking that up, I was thinking about this because I know I've mentioned in podcasts past uh, how, much, how many times Burt Reynolds' name seemed to pop up. Uh -huh. And I was surprised in that list because... What? No Burt Reynolds? <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, yeah, Lambert Wilson is in The Matrix Reloaded. He's the one that goes on some long way to speech with Monica uh, Bellucci. But every time I okay, think... Okay, okay. James Brolin, I mean, he's the only American actor um, to get that close, I think, to getting it. And um, I just keep thinking of Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure at the end when he's playing... <clears throat> he's playing like a uh, James Bond version of Pee-wee. And just fighting Mr. Herbert. Fighting Mr. Herbert. <laughs> just looking at the camera the entire time, and he's like, Daddy, I have to go out on a mission. She's like, let me go with you. Daddy, I'm a loner. Just like, because Pee Wee says that in the movie, right? He goes, Dad, I don't got time for that, Daddy. I'm a, I'm a loner. A rebel. <laughs> okay. And I, I need to get around to doing this. Uh, Blondie... Uh, we're, we're asked to do a title song for this film, and it didn't make the cut, but you can hear it off their album, The Hunter. No kidding. What was, what was the song? Actually, uh, probably sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's For Your Eyes Only. Oh. Uh, same thing with uh, okay. Alice Cooper. He did one what? for, I think it was Man with the Golden Gun. Son of a yeah. bitch. Man that's with awesome. Gun. Is it out? Can you listen and to that? And that one is, yeah, Muscle of Love. Oh, okay. What? I need to do this. I mean, we've. We both talked about having to hear that Johnny Cash, if it's released, the Johnny Cash al alternate Bond theme. <laughs> and I still haven't even looked that up. I'm being very bad about this. <laughs> I um, I really like Sheena Easton's version of this. I, I never even really listened to Sheena Easton. But I was uh, I popped on a song, because uh, it was in my 80s mix of her, called Strut. And at first you think it's like one of these, like, she's strutting because she's proud. And, and then I'll, you start listening to the lyrics a little bit closer and you're like, oh, holy shit, this is a Me Too song 35 years ago. It's about a girl who just wants to walk to work, who wants to go about her life wherever she wants to go without having men catcall her and telling her to strut and look pretty for them. 
Well, that's that's a lot of 80s music is they sound all poppy and happy. And then you look at the lyrics and you just go, oh, my God, this is dark. What is wrong with you people? Well, I mean, to be yeah, fair, you look yeah. back on a lot of 80s movies and you're like, oh, that's homophobic. Oh, that's sexist. Oh, that's racist. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more. You, you, we definitely listen and watch things with a lot more depth these days. It's really hard. Oh. I'm watching all the seasons of Saturday Night Live because we're going to do a, um, a sketch comedy podcast next year. And I'm like, man, they do. Oof, they're doing yellow face. Oh, I'm doing black face. Oh God, that's a lot of homophobia. You know, it's just it, it, it is Dennis Miller. I mean, I, I, are we any surprised by his behavior now, considering how sexist some of his stuff was? His comments on Saturday Live are so terrible at times. Well, I'll say I do like the uh, the white face uh, that Eddie Murphy does in one of the sketches. Yeah, because that had a real it's point somewhere to in the it, 90s. Yeah. Okay, we're getting off topic. Yeah, again. that was. I'm also losing yeah, my voice. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get to the last two. Octopus Eve, seen it maybe 20 times. This is one of the uh, the VHS tape uh, movies that we had when I was a kid. Like, we taped them off ABC. This was an event um, on ABC for years. On Sunday nights, they would air all the Bond movies, um, you know, because another one was coming out. And because back then, it was every two years you would get a Bond movie. Sometimes, uh, you know, oh. Uh, in case in the case of 1983, we got two Bond movies, and uh, so they would just air them all the time. But Octopus is one that I saw so many times. I haven't got the faintest fucking clue what it's about. I just remember clowns and uh, uh, Maude Adams returning. <laughs> yeah. uh, Maude yeah. Adams again. I'm like, Don't, wait, hold on. This is did, did they reboot the universe? No, no. Hold on a second. You can't be the same. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this if you for the plot, this is uh, while investigating a smuggling operation, Bond uncovers a plot. By a rogue, because, yeah, at this point, we've had the Russians as villains, but now we have a rogue Russian general who's going to bomb an American air base in West Germany in order to kickstart uh, the Russian expansion into the West. Yeah. Louis Jordan, who was way better in this kind of performance in Swamp Thing because that kind of campy behavior was accepted. It doesn't work as well in Octopussy, and it's weird because, like I said, it's a comic book franchise of sorts. And yet, for some reason, I just like, oh, God, he's chewing the scenery here. Oh, boy. Yeah, and, well, it's also, there is, like, they go to India. There's some interesting stuff there where he got, uh, it's like, uh, what's his name? The, uh, oh, like, uh, the, his little uh, little friend, v, uh, VJ, who, uh, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm the agent station. Who am going to help you out? Apparently, <laughs> that guy was a pro tennis player. What? So and he was trying and he was trying to transition into films. That's why there's a lot of weird tennis jokes around here. Okay, okay. That's and like they're you know and they're and while they're driving around, he's smacking people with the tennis racket and stuff. Ugh, that never it's works. Like, it it's it's never a, works when you do that it's because I'm just keeping like they did that with Pele. They did it with Dennis Rodman. Um, he he double team another uh, Bond inspired film. You know, Jean-Claude Van Damme was a massive Bond fan. He always wanted to play a spy. So they offer him this incredibly stupid fucking script called Double Team. In fact, I'm guaranteeing it wasn't called Double Team at the time. And then they add Dennis Rodman. And then, okay, so this character's not even a basketball player, but all they do is give him basketball player jokes. And it doesn't make sense in that context. And that's also, you know, it's like tennis jokes. Like, why? He wasn't a tennis player. Yeah, and like that that little action sequence I'm talking about where they're going through, uh, through the marketplaces and all that stuff. 
that is an amazing, you know, amazing little action sequence, except they have all these jokes in there. You know, you're cutting away to stuff, and there's, you know, the, the bed of needles, you know, thing, and it's like just staring at it and going, Oh, yeah, that was stupid. Why is he laying this in the middle stupid. of the road? Why was he in the middle of the road doing this while they're chasing each other around? Who does that? Who lays their bed? And by the way, I didn't know that's what it did. It actually punctures your skin. That's fucking gross. Well, it's, if you're doing it right, it's so evenly distrib- uh, distributed, you're not going to get punctured. But if you do it wrong, yeah, you get stabbed. Ugh. I remember that was a joke in Police Academy that they had him lay down in one of those. And he's like, oh, God, what is that? And they pulled the bed sheet back and it's all needles. And I was like... I, at the time, I didn't even know what it was. Like, I don't, I'm kidding. Why would you do this? Why would you stab yourself over and over? But it's supposed to relax muscles, right? Yeah. Okay. And Octopussy's also the last film to reveal the title of the next film. Really? Oh, that's right, because at the end of the movie, they always say James Bond will be back in whatever. And uh, yeah. is it because they ran out of books? What, what is the last book? Is Living Daylight's the last one? Because I know, I know Goldeneye was an unfinished story. Well, it's like, I mean, they, they technically ran out of books a while ago because I think Octopussy is one of the – it's a short story. Okay. Or it's parts of a short story or something like that. So technically they did run out of stories or at least ones that they would have put in, you know. Right, right. Used as titles. Yeah, this one. But they also used – yeah, they used the actual original book title too, which was from A View to a Kill. I don't even remember the song from this. Is there is a song called Octopussy? Who sings it? What is it? <laughs> oh, uh, it is called All Time High. Oh, and it is Rita. Okay, okay you know that? I, I think that was a hit too. I think that was on the radio when I was a kid. All Time High. Um, not very memorable, obviously, because I couldn't even tell you what the song was. Um, the only thing I ever remember from this movie is the fact that it has the friggin' Fabergé eggs, and it has to do with the circus. That's it. Yeah, and we have the the creepy clowns, especially uh, Roger Moore has like five minutes to uh, stop the bomb from detonating, and he immediately basically goes into a trailer and then comes out dressed as a clown. Yeah, this is, this is a really low point. I don't. Uh, the last Roger Moore. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's talk about the one that came out uh, concurrently with Octopussy was uh, Never Say Never Again. Uh, the rights got split up, and um, Sony was able to distribute Never Say Never Again at a much higher budget than normal for these Bond movies. I mean, because like I said, it dropped down for her, uh, for your eyes only, and and. Uh, Sony was like, screw it, we're going to make it such a massive spectacle, they're going to come and watch our Bond movies. But it was a one-shot. They only owned the rights well, to that's... one story, and Sean Connery wasn't going to continue. Yeah, and there was there was a couple of things with this. Uh, Never Say Never Again, of course, is the result of that fight, of that rights fight. That's what delayed Spy Who Loved Me, was them kind of, you know, bickering and dealing with that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, the Broccoli's won the uh, the rights to the Bond films, but they still didn't have – they still lost Thunderball. Right. Well, they, uh, they owned the movie, but they didn't own the remake rights, I guess. The story, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like they could use Bond. They could use all these things, including Blofeld. But you could – but it was like – but you can't do, you know, this, 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 or this. Right. I, I love the girls. The, Barbara Carrera is great and menacing in it. Kim Basinger oh. – it's, it's Kim Basinger. I mean, come on. Um, yeah. 
Sean Connery's fun. He po- it's it's is the same script as Thunderball. It's just updated. So there's a lot of jokes about him aging. There's instead of like uh, you know when they do the war games, it's like this laser arcade style game stuff like that. So it, it's enjoyable, but it, there's nothing fresh about it. Yeah. Well, there's some things I did I did appreciate in the case of this M really does not want to deal with Bond shit in this film. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He just he is just I do not you know he's like Bond just. Do just do what we want you to do. Don't <laughs> screw around. Yeah, and I, I thought Claus Maria Brandor was a much better villain than the villain in Thunderball. I really liked him in this. Charming and menacing. Yeah, I feel bad because Max von Sydow, who's playing All Blofeld right. in this, does not really get that much to do. Like, I, I really wish he had more. Well, look at his filmography during this time. He was cashing in on his fame. He did this in Conan, like three or four other movies, where he would just show up for a couple of days. And get paid a shit ton of money and then just go back to doing whatever it is he do, you know, music or art or whatever. I mean, remember Judge Dredd? It was like a two-day shoot, and they, I think they paid him $100,000 a day, which back then, that was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And, like, again, this did go up against Octopussy. There was this whole Bond versus Bond showdown in the media, but Octopussy won. Yeah. Because uh, that one actually made made money. Yeah, but... This but, one did all right. Yeah, but it cost yeah, a damn did, much. Uh, yeah. It also... You know, Irving Kirshner, I, in watching this, this is, uh, and I've, granted, I have not seen all of Kirshner's films, but I think this is probably his weakest film, at yeah, least of the ones yeah. I've seen. Well, no, I think Robocop 2, I, I know people love Robocop 2, but there's, no, you know what, no, 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 at least he had a voice in that one. I don't know if it was Frank Miller's voice yeah. uh, speaking through him, but at least it's a trying to say something, even though it's kind of a sloppy film. Um, you're right, I don't really know his work that well either, but maybe that's why George Lucas chose him is because, like Richard Marquand, after him, these guys are really good technically. You know, they get called all the technical shots, but not so much focused on the acting and the emotion. I don't I don't know. I don't really know the story about it. But you hear stories about that where, um, where directors are only hired to handle the technical stuff. Like with Rambo 2, Cobra, Tombstone, George Penn Cosmatos was only ha- uh, hired because he was really good at handling the technical stuff, which Stallone and Kurt Russell had no patience for. Yeah. Now, like in this one, uh, because they got Connery back, uh, he had a lot of creative control, and he uh, had to—he essentially approved most of the casting in this film. Uh, Barbara Correa turned down the title role of Octopussy so she could work with Connery. Wow. Um, I, do you know the story about Steven Seagal working as a technical uh, advisor on this movie? I did. I did have a. I was going to write the note on that, and then I didn't. But yeah, it's like he does some of the martial arts uh, choreography and stuff in this film. He broke his fucking arm. Is, he broke Sean Connery's arm. This is so ridiculous. Oh, I can't believe he got a career after that because you would think that his fuck up would just blackball him forever. Yeah. Oh, and this is the film that kickstarted the uh, No Animals Were Harmed in the making of this film. Really? Because. There's uh, that stunt where they're having the horse uh, jumping off a cliff, uh-huh. and oh, yeah, the horse point. got hurt. Okay. And you know, animal rights activists got really pissed off, and that uh, basically caused enough controversy that now they have to put that in there as long as you know no animals are harmed in the film. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, good for them because that's that's what's needed because no animal should be harmed for our entertainment. Um, only humans. And uh, all right, let's wrap this up. We got ten minutes to. Discuss View to a Kill, the, uh, my absolute favorite song. A favorite, favorite song. You know yes. everybody loved 
they loved that song because they kept playing it throughout the movie instead of the regular James Bond theme. It's like, I think this is, you know, this is the most amazing song. It's also one of the weakest. Uh, just, I hate the title sequence. Oh, just yeah. terrible, terrible black light. Just, oh, God. Some of them do seem like, really half-assed. I watched, I watched, there's a parody of this. Um on Saturday Night Live at the time. And you can see that they were just making fun of the fact that James Bond by this point was just completely phoning it in. It was before Timothy Dalton um, had taken over and they thought Roger Moore was going to come back for yet another one. And all it is is Victoria Jackson in a black leotard with a backlight and just doing gymnastics moves. And that's it. It's so pathetic. But the joke, <laughs> the joke is there. It's like, yeah, they gave up. Yeah, th this is very much... Like th this, this film is garbage. Oh, yeah. But it does again. You have Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Because because that's the thing. I love Christopher Walken as an actor. I love it when Christopher Walken actually plays a character. He's you know he's acting. He's amazing. But then I also love when he just plays Christopher Walken. Uh, I think the only time I've ever seen just... him in my entire in his entire career, it's the only time I've ever seen him without his hair greased back or sticking straight up. Like, it's just normal human hair. Like, oh, you combed it. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this yeah, this film is just all over the place. It just, you know, Max Zorin is apparently the product of Nazi experimentation <laughs> yeah. to be like some sort of weird super soldier. <laughs> hey, I found you, Russians. <laughs> It's like, it's, and then... You know, he's it kind of kind of has this uh, Goldfinger thing where he's going to destroy uh, Silicon destroy Valley. Silicon Valley yeah. so he can so he can make uh, be the person who has the uh, he's in charge of the microchip trade. It's like I have a blip, and he just what the sh <laughs> yeah, it's just like what the shit is going on? The, this is like um, all this is like all the ideas that were never good enough for the previous films and just mashed. You like, come on, San Francisco. I love San Francisco too, but we're talking about the Bond franchise. There's nothing truly fascinating. That's an exotic locale. But there's let's see, like, uh, but this, yeah, as I said, this is also like more. Roger Moore hates this movie with a passion, yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Like. He was not on speaking terms with Grace Jones at any point. She she seems really off. Like this, like something. Like I've been wanting to be around her for like more than a couple of minutes. It would just get so like bizarre and uncomfortable. Oh, did you catch Dolph Lundgren? No, I keep looking for him. Damn, I've seen this movie so many times. I keep looking for him. Where the fuck is yeah, he? Yeah, I missed him too. I missed him too. Yeah, he's just like he's there. I think with in one of the Russian scenes. He's there, just like off to the side. Oh, okay. He's just a, you know, doesn't see, say anything. I, I asked, there. I asked Jacob about this because we did a Dolph Lundgren episode. And he goes, "Yeah, he fights James Bond," and I go, "I don't think he fights James Bond. I don't think he's." And, and then we started talking about it, and then he was so far off. I was like, "No, you're describing, you're describing Tomorrow Never Dies, the big blonde guy in the ship, Jonathan Price's like right hand man." That was like twelve years later. You're not even close. He's like, "Son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see other things. Another another interesting bit of casting, and I love the reason the reason that it was turned down. David Bowie apparently oh. was offered Zola, and he turned it down for Labyrinth, which was a good call. But it also flops. But, but it's it's better remembered. See, that's a weird thing about history. A but, lot of these movies that we love now tanked, and a lot of the big movies no one gives a shit about. 
was like his his real reason that he say, stated later on for not wanting to do a uh, view to a kill <laughs> was the script sucked. Okay. He just sat there with this movie blows. What the hell? I don't want to be part of though, this. Though, I would give anything to see him in that blimp going, ground control to Mr. Bond. <laughs> yes, I. that's another thing of casting where I go, I would love the alternate world where this happened because I would love to see Bowie do this. I, everybody says that Tanya Roberts is the worst Bond girl, and I still give that to Denise Richards because she tried to convince us that she was a biochemist, <laughs> and I'm like, no. Uh, but Tanya Roberts is not good, even though I like Tanya Roberts, but mostly because she's just hilarious on that 70s show. Yeah, this, in the case of this, she's just kind of, she's a prop more than an actual yeah. real character. She's just kind of there. But, uh, oh, this was uh, uh, that that Russian agent, uh, Pola Ivanova. Yeah. The you know girl who just kind of shows up at one point. That was actually supposed to be Anya from Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, But okay. Barbara Rock did not want to come back. Gotcha. But like it, her career was But those well. lines make, all those lines make so much more sense if you go, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be her. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, this came out at the same time as another spy movie that was trying to compete. And... Um, Hamilton, damn it! Uh, he directed a bunch of the Bond movies. Hamilton, he did uh, Remo Williams. I hate looking stuff up because I feel like it's cheating. I want my brain to work, but I can't. I'm gonna have to look this up. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, was supposed to be competing with James Bond. It was supposed to be like, eh, James Bond is old hat. We're taking over here. And um, I, I tell you what, Remo Williams is so much more memorable. I love that movie. Yeah, this, this is when I was rewatching this film. I just could. I really did not remember anything other than the blimp. Yeah. Like, just kind of like, just nothing about this stuck. Oh, again, theme song still yeah, sticks. Yeah. Well, Duran Duran were but, red uh, hot. I mean, I gotta tell you, for like five years there, they had like every hit song. And then after that, they just kind of faded. I don't know if they broke up or they were on hiatus. Yeah, this, this was actually their last song. Oh, okay, because didn't they go, like, half of them went over to Power Station, and then half of them went over to some other band that sang Election Day, and then they just kind of floated around for a few years until they got back together in the 90s, became a new age band. Yeah, something like that. Ugh. But, yeah, this, like, the the stuff with the horse, with all the horses, I'm just sitting there going, god damn, this is going on so oh, long. Oh, god, it's so long. I kept looking at the Get clock to... and going, two and a half hours, fuck, me up a river, man. It was Guy Hamilton. Now look at this. Okay, Rebo Williams, The Adventure Begins. It gives you a sequence on the friggin' Statue of Liberty as it's being worked on, and it was for real. They just had to use a lot of wires to hold them you know, from dying or whatever. It's got uh, uh, Fred Ward's fun and lovable, Joel Gray. You, you, you whine like a mule. Um, dodging bullets. It's so much fun, and it made $14 million in Beautiful Kill is slop. And it made like $60 million. Yeah, that. But we're getting to. I know. Uh, I don't want to say it's the least favorite Bond because that's usually Lazenby, but uh, everyone's second least favorite Bond we got coming up. But as I recall, those those two films are better are much better than than at least the garbage of uh, Roger Moore's. Run. Right, and we'll discuss those next month. We're gonna add those to the Bronson movie. Uh, Bronson, Charles Bronson is James Bond. I'm gonna kill you, <laughs> punk. <laughs> I like chicken punk. Um, uh, I don't think he ever even said punk. I think I just made that a dirty hairy uh, uh, Paul Kersey. Yeah, you kind of keep blending dirty hairy in. I yeah. did. I did. Um, 
No, uh, Timothy Dalton, they took it back to the roots of the book again, and uh, people hated it. Maybe they were just sick of Bond. Maybe it wasn't the fact that, you know, because the spectacle of the, of the Roger Moore years is ridiculous. And they say, that's terrible. But then they say, Timothy Dalton, it's like, ah, it's too mainstream. It's just like a, a revenge film, you know? And I'm like, no, these are good flicks. So we're going to discuss more of those on the next episode. It's yeah. going to be a little gap because, you know, the holidays and we both work heavily. So uh, January is when we'll discuss that. We'll do the Dalton and Brosnan movies at the same time. And then um, I don't know whether to do the Daniel Craig episode now or wait closer to the time of that release. I'm not sure because I kind of want to talk about that last movie. Is it his last movie or are they going to offer him $50 million for the next one? Good God. Those paychecks are huge. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like he's coming back. But then again, he's also said that, you know, it's like he'd rather kill himself yeah. than, or he had more colorful phrasing of that. But he'd rather kill himself than play Bond again. Uh, and like his career is so big. He's a great he motivator, just, I guess. Yeah, I know. And I was like, um, I just replace him if he's that miserable. Is it filming? Because I feel like the director dropped out. Danny Boyle dropped out, and they, they didn't find a replacement yet. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about about that film as of as of late. So. Yeah, there's no way they're gonna have I it out by Christmas then, they're man. They're gonna have to rush that production. That's never a good idea. Yeah, I, I would I would at best bet you're looking at 2020. Ugh. Okay, so hit. never mind. We'll just do the the four Daniel Craig movies because I don't want to wait two years to finish the show. We'll do we'll do the special when it when it comes out. We'll right, have the special episode. Yeah, and if and the, so the show that we're doing after that before Godzilla starts is we're going to do two or three. Uh, no, no, it's got to be more than that. We're going to do the Star Trek films, so it's got to be at least two for the original cast, two for the next generation, and one for uh, and then I don't know. We'll figure it out. We can't go on forever with that because we got to fit it in before March. But, yeah, that's the next thing. We're going to do the Star Trek movies, and then we're going to do some kaiju. Um, not all the kaiju because that would take five years, and I just don't have the kind of attention span. We'll do some, and if it's a huge hit, we'll come back and do some more. Um, but that's it yeah, for us. They, yeah. yeah, it's like they get redundant, but yeah. there's so many good ones that we have to talk about. And I keep pestering them to do more comic book episodes with me, so I'm just keeping this guy busy. And it's not even his only show. He he, uh, he shows up on um, what did we just watch on a regular basis? Yeah, and I'm even looking into possibly starting something of my own. Oh, nice. That we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, uh, well, I'll guess on next it. year. We'll let. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you should right. do yeah, the music. Definitely one. Be it's up your. That has actually been one thought of mine. Not the one I'm. I've been thinking. Like I said, we'll. We'll talk about off air, and then okay. when that uh, when that gets closer to things, we'll we'll mention it to the next okay. people. Well, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. You'll find all our episodes there. And I just sound like a radio announcer. It's seventy two degrees, and the traffic outside is a that's a helicopter sound. And <laughs> um. Everybody, it is downloads are forever. The James Bond cast are, I think, six part. It wasn't gonna be eight part, but we edited it down a little bit. Uh, view at the James Bond franchise, and I'm your host, Michael, my co-creator, sidekick, uh, partner in crime, Jaws on the other side. 
How's it going, everybody? All right. So uh, it has been a little bit of a break between episodes. Christmas, hey, it was bonkers. And that's what decided, you know, hey, let's compress the Timothy Dalton and Brosnan down into one episode. Uh, we'll do one more with uh, the Daniel Craig uh, four films that have been, you know, going so far. I Has the fifth one even started yet? I feel like they bailed. No. Okay, that's what I thought. As far as I know, it, yeah, they're, they're not going anywhere with them at the moment. Okay, so yeah, I mean, by the time they get around to it, they probably will cast somebody else. Uh, I mean, I think they're paying him like $25 million, which seems insane. I don't know if anybody anymore is worth $25 million. Uh, well, not uh, – I like uh, – okay, we'll jump ahead for the uh, those uh, the more recent films. I do like them. I like Daniel Craig as Bond, but yeah – it's hard. It's hard to see any of these people worth so much, considering some of these films that we've, especially this in this lot. Right. Well, I'm just thinking, like you know, it's like Batman. You, you can cast the right person, but at the same time, there's a lot of other people that are good backups. And once someone starts getting, I mean, just think about, like, okay, the Star Trek franchise shut down, which is going to be our next focus. Is we're going to do like four episodes on the Star Trek movies is, you know, it's on hiatus now because they can't get Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. And I'm like, that's a little bit harder because only two people played Kirk, you know? It's not as well-known uh, well, um, character. They can just cast almost anybody. Yeah, and especially with those films, you get this the point that this is now the J.J. Abrams universe version, so you have these particular characters established. Right. You can't really go back and recasting everybody. Yeah. Well, at least a damn good reason. They could do side adventures. I don't understand why Star Trek seems to be the only franchise where it's locked down to one particular cast. I mean, and on TV it wasn't. And it just seems like that'd be a lot of fun just to explore different people in that same universe. Yeah, that it, that kind of seems to be the shame of the movies. But I think we're going to start... We're starting to get into the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cast. Sorry, sorry. But uh, yeah, my point was it just seems like $25 million is a lot. But let's go back... To 1987, um, after Pierce Brosnan lost his chance because they renewed Remington Steel, they gave um, it to Timothy Dalton instead. And at the time, I think a lot of people were put off by Timothy Dalton. And I look back and go, are you people out of your fucking minds? This is exactly the right approach for the series. And I wish there had been more Timothy Daltons. I mean, there was a six-year gap that could have at least fit in another one. But, you know, this is when United Artists and MGM went bankrupt. Um, and then things just kind of, you know, flew away. And by the time they got back up and running is when, uh, they went in a different direction. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. This is, this is exactly the good stuff. And I will say something controversial. I think that License to Kill is a more entertaining film than Living Daylights. I agree. 100%. Oh, I guess it's not uh, that controversial. Living, <laughs> yeah. Living Daylights is very by the numbers. Uh, it feels very safe, not very interesting. It just kind of, it's an action movie that just kind of has Bond in it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a formula that the Roger Moore movies had. And they always seem way too friggin' long in these huge chunks they could have just cut out I didn't care for. And then you realize, oh, I bet you Living Daylights was a script that was sitting around expecting it to be the Roger Moore world. And then just did some tweaks to modify it to, you know, make it more towards Timothy Dalton's, like, dead serious uh, version of him. Less clowny, less one-liner. Though they do force the one-liners into both this and License to Kill. And they're, they're, they're just, ugh, I can't do the one-liners, man. 
Yeah, it well that that turns into all the all these things. You have to have them be quippy and all that stuff. But these are much more. I don't want. I, I hate the term dark, even though this is kind of that. But it's very much a, a little more serious than obviously the last couple of films that we've had. Yeah. And and now we're kind of getting into getting back into essentially the basics of the franchise, which were. He's a secret agent. He's doing secret agent stuff. What I like about it is that they switch things in this one. Everybody you think is going to be bad ends up good, and the good people end up bad. And that was kind of fresh back then. They were really doing those switcheroos, which is commonplace now. I mean, you have a camera's fucking name. He's a bad guy from The Fugitive. He was on this big arc on Miami Vice. Why can't I? Uh, French guy. Right? He's French? Oh, uh, good. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat and look. Well, you know, he starts off as the hero and that he's going to be assassinated by Miriam Diabo. And, you know, that gets switched. And then you have Art Malik, who was the bad guy in True Lies. And back then, all Middle Eastern people were, you know, terrorists and stuff like that. And they switched that. And Joe Don Baker, who's the all-American, you know, soldier guy, ends up being a bad guy. And yeah. I was like, that's kind of novel, for, at least for the time period. Well, well funny, what's funny about this is, just like Rambo 3, uh, these... This and Rambo 3 do not hold up anymore because the Taliban are the heroes. You're right. Film. Oh, Jerome you Crab. Know, the, I wouldn't ever remember that name to save my life. Yeah, it's like I have only a couple of names of like cast members from this one, and I, I don't know why I didn't write that one down. Oh, yeah, John I, Reese I, Davis. I, yeah, I, I, I forgot. Right. Yeah, John Reese Davis. I mentioned John Reese Davis. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, we had a title song by Aha this time. <laughs> That's uh, a joke. It, I can't. I can't remember the guy's name, but he did. He was in a stand-up comedy group called Corky and the Juice Pigs, and they were on a bunch of episodes of Mad TV, I think around season two or three. And he went off on his own, and then he was like, don't you love those James Bond movies, especially those songs? You have all the great singers, and he starts naming off all these legendary singers, and then he goes, and aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> it's such yeah, a mediocre like, song. Yeah, it's like, is this thing where like, yeah, it's a theme. Definitely not... Definitely, by far, not the worst, but nowhere near as good as some, as some of these other themes. That no, no, had. no. And uh, I, it's weird that I've seen this movie maybe four or five times, and yet, I mean, I just watched it last week for this, and I couldn't, I can't remember anything besides the fact that they ride around on a cello case. I, I, and that, oh, and Jordan is... Baker has some sort of uh, uh, room set up with gadgets and stuff like that, and I was, that's it. But why, why can't I remember this movie? <laughs> Honestly, there's nothing memorable about this film. It is, like I said, it just it's very generic. It, they played it. They felt like they kind of played it safe. Now, to be fair, the opening bit where uh, Bond is helping the uh, uh, Koskov, the the general, escape. Uh huh. That's actually that is actually this is the last uh, Bond film to have a uh, any plot taken from the original stories. As well as the name, the Living Daylights is actually a title of a short uh, from the short story collection. Oh, that's weird because I thought Goldeneye was one of the last ones, but maybe I'm wrong. No, Goldeneye is is a reference to uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name again? <laughs> I think it's a reference to my that favorite porno, Golden Thigh. Mm. Yeah, no, it it's a it is a real life reference, not a not an actual Bond reference. 
And, uh, yeah, I, there's not much for me to say on this one. It's just passable. It, it's better than some of the Roger Moore, like Live and Let Die. Or not Live and Let Die, uh, uh, A View to a Kill. Still like that Octopussy. Definitely better than Octopussy and Moonraker. Almost, almost anything is better than a couple of those films. Yeah, and, um, but it's it's Licensed to Kill. Licensed to Kill is the one that I love, and it nearly killed the series. And I, have, I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the film or if people were tired of Bond. If you look... The series in general was starting to dip a little bit. It had its peak, um, I think, with Moonraker, which was like $79 million, and then slowly just kept dropping. But the biggest problem is is that it was released in the summer of 89 against Lethal Weapon 2, yeah. uh, Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade, um, Batman, Batman uh, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Not that that's the same audience, but it's still just a massive movie that people went to. And you can see why Star Trek and Bond were kind of looking long in the tooth to a lot of younger audiences, plus the fact that Star Trek V sucks. Um, but License to Kill, massive overseas. It just didn't do well in America, and that's kind of a shame because if there's anything about this movie that I can say is that it's modernized. It feels like a Joel Silver production. It's got crazy action sequences that you remember. It's got a great uh, cast. Oh, my God, there's so many of those guys. Those guys, you know, you put in quotation marks that always play, like, yeah. tough guys in all the great 80s and early 90s Robert, films. I can never remember his name, but Robert Davey. Every time I see him, I go, oh, my God, that's the guy. I love that guy. He's yeah. always great. Well, he's not so great. He's great as an actor. He's not great as a person. He's a huge yeah. Trump supporter. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, this is the one where most of it's, you know, it takes place in America, so it's, I think it's easier to cast um, a lot of American people that you know. And two, it, it's very personal to him. I think it's one of the most personal since the uh, um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service is that, you know, now Felix is getting married, and Felix has been in and out of this series, you know, since the beginning, and he gets killed, and now it's time for vengeance. And you really can connect to that one. Yeah, because especially with us watching these films kind of back to back to back. And it's not necessarily that feel, you know, yeah, Felix, yeah, has only been kind of in here and there, just little bits, but it always kind of felt like Bond had a great relationship with this dude. And then, yeah, it's like, he's the best man at, at the wedding. And then he gets, you know, he gets uh, mutilated and his wife is raped and murdered. And you kind of, you 100% understand the motivation of Bond going you know going rogue yeah i don't i still don't understand why they are going to kill him they take away his license to kill and they take away his gun but they're going to kill him i don't i don't get that is it you would think they would just put him on suspension and let him just do whatever the hell he wants they can fire him or wait can you be fired from 007 has anybody ever been fired just removed uh, not that i'm aware of all the agents seem to be killed no maybe that's Usually the thing I, is that you're I, in it for really life you're like the mob that makes sense because, yeah, these people are – they know too much. So yeah, that's I what I'm thinking. That... They're too privy to yeah. secrets. Oh, a couple of things for both of these films, just kind of weird random little points of trivia. Uh, Christopher Reeve almost, almost Bond at one point. What? Uh, he turned down a million bucks to play Bond for Living Daylight. <sighs> He's not British. Yeah, oh, and Sam Neill was also Bond. So was Sean Bean. Did you know that they offered Christopher Reeve um, the running man? 
And he's, he didn't believe they could do it on the budget that they had, which I think was $15 million, so he bailed to go do Superman 4. <laughs> well, he Superman 4 was his pet project. I get that, but that's a dumb, that was a very dumb decision yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, in my head, I recast, I don't know if you've ever seen Judgment Night with Emilio Estevez, but I recast it in my head. Like, what if it took place in the 80s? And I would totally have Christopher Reeve in the Emilio Estevez role. Oh, that that would be interesting. Yeah, that definitely would have been <laughs> changed. Definitely can't change some of the dynamics on that movie, though. But yeah, I, I can see it. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like he's big and tough, but he always seems like kind of you know preppy, and 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 he wouldn't survive much in the city. <laughs> oh, we got we're not we didn't get it. We didn't want a tangent. Damn, another tangent. Damn it. <laughs> That's all right. Um, uh, actually, I have a Facebook oh, friend who is in License to Kill. Anthony Stark. He plays uh, the um, like the sleazy bookkeeper guy that helps. You know that whole scam they have with Wayne Newton and the whole cult government. Uh, what, what do you want to call it? It's like he's uh, scamming people for the money. Yeah, it's it, it's weird cult stuff. Yeah, but you know, trust me, uh, big pyramid scheme deal. Yeah, that almost seems superfluous to the plot. I almost feel like that's unnecessary. I don't, I don't understand why some of the bonds need to have a novel feel. Why some just can't cut the fat and just go. And I, I guess that's why a lot of people don't like um, Quantum of Solace because it's real. Like, hey, well, we're not going to have any extra. We're just going to go. And that, that I would prefer that honestly out of the bond movies. They don't need to be two hours and fifteen minutes. Make them an hour and a half. I'm cool with that. Yeah, streamlining these things would be nice, but at the same time, they all want to. They everybody wants to take vacations to all these nice wonderful places that's true let's go let's go shoot in uh you know you know these wonderfully beautiful locations under the pretense that we're going to make a movie and it's you funny know, that let's have this everybody knows who the bond movies you know they all know them and they all know that everybody's going to see it no matter how big their part is and so i think pretty much anybody will show up even for a couple days who's the bad guy uh he, that was in um silver bullet you know he's on twin peaks um He's, ah, he's not seen Silver Bullet. You've never seen Silver Bullet, son of a bitch. Holy shit, are you a horror guy at all? I am a horror guy. I'm going to look this up. That is, it's bugging like me. Werewolf, you know. yeah. My memory's going, and that's not good. Silver Bullet, okay. So he was also in Under Siege 2, but he's in this for like, you know, just a couple scenes as like the government guy who you think is good, and then they... Oh, I know he's not, and he dumps him in the, into the shark pit. Everett McGill. Everett McGill is, is uh, in this for, like, you know, five minutes. I like him. Um, well, it's like, what's also fun to see is Benicio Del Toro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very first role. God, he was young. Man, I probably, like, 18 or 19. Yeah. This is, yeah, that was interesting, seeing him in this. I think it's funny is that you see um, Frank McRae, who was the boss in 48 Hours, you know? Uh, you know, the, the ones always... He, he was a cliche of oh, always yeah. yelling at the cops and, you know, turn your badge and gun, you're out of control. <laughs> he, he even parodies oh, yeah. himself in Last Action Hero. Yes, I love I love Frank McRae also. And that, that felt bad when they killed him. It's like, aww. Oh, I don't remember him getting killed. When did this happen? I don't remember him dying. Yeah, I don't have I don't have to know exactly what uh, what happened, but yeah, it's like, uh, oh, because he gets killed by uh, Robert Davies' group. He's uh, they find his boat because uh, Bond's stuck onto onto the boat, and they find his his boat elsewhere, and he's just kind of like hung up. Oh, on the side. oh, never mind. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Th yeah, this one's vicious. This one feels like it should star Mel Gibson instead, well, who technically he could since he's from Australia. Yeah, it's like I think that's also that was the big problem is that between these two films, these were a lot again much grittier than uh, previous films. So all of a sudden, it's like Bond's supposed to be fun. It's like, well, yeah, but this is. It's like, did you read the point, books? He's kind of a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. At one point, you do kind of have to have actual, not necessarily espionage, but uh, this your agent action, and we are. Now that we're in this era of all these high-budget, big, big-blown action films with all these things, you can't just get around with space lasers and stuff like that. Right. Anymore. You know, it's funny is that everything that plagued Timothy Dalton's run, they basically brought into Goldeneye. You know, six years later, it's a dead serious, um, a little, a little bit lighter. But after that is when they went into Roger Moore territory, and that's where I think it falls apart. I think Goldeneye is almost a perfect Bond movie. It's so much fun. It, it just Martin yeah. Campbell is a hell of a director, and he really knew how to uh, control movies. I, I, almost everything that he's done has been truly interesting to me. He did those Zorro movies. He did um, what's what's the one on the mountain? Damn it, uh, with Chris O'Donnell. Uh, Extreme Limits or something. Oh, like that. Uh, Vertical Limit. Vertical Limit. God, I love that movie. And uh, No Escape with Ray Liotta, he's a guy who knew to cut the fat and keep things going. And I think that's what Goldeneye works so well. Yeah, Goldeneye is amazing. And that's it, it's also kind of weird because it's all of a sudden you have uh, Bond being called out, uh, you know, on sexual harassment. Yeah. There is, you know, it's like they're talking. That he should wear protection. Sex. Yeah. It's kind of like. It's so bizarre, especially just just jumping right immediately from License to Kill to that. Yeah. Where it's just completely different eras, mindsets, everything really... If you, you kind of can see a transition in stuff as these films go along, but the most, like, brick wall, you know, thing between these two eras is just, yeah, License to Kill to Golden Isle, so it's just, okay, everything is different now. Well, yeah, the biggest thing is that, that Russia collapsed and the Great Wall fell and, and, and that whole thing just completely switched. And, you know, that's the big dragging point of this is, like, those missiles, you know, from Russia that's now defective. Well, now in our terms, I think they're probably almost as strong as they were in the 80s. Just they're not calling themselves communists anymore. You know, all those missiles that, like, well, we don't have any money to take care of them and store them. Let's just sell them off. Or, and then some just come up missing. And that's a big driving point. I think a lot of movies from the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, and, yeah, it's like, but everything about this film is, it's a perfect action film. Uh, Pierce Brosnan's amazing. I, I will still, spoiler alert for the rest of these ones, uh, I think Pierce Brosnan's uh, run is maybe 40% good. He really does do, do all the heavy lifting. He really does. I commend yeah. him because he's so damn good. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan is truly the best thing about the Pierce Brosnan run of these films. Well, Pierce Brosnan and Judy Dench. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, Judy Dench takes over in this one, correct? Yeah, she's she's the new M. Yeah, you know what's weird is you, the theory that there is a James Bond identity, but different people take that mantle solidifies once you realize that Q is in almost all of these. Yeah, and it's. It, it, the only way these films really work is by doing that. Now, like, there was an interesting thing that I read about, uh, I think, 
for Living Daylights was it was supposed to be a Bond origin story at one point oh. where the end of the film was essentially him getting the mission for Dr. No. Okay, okay, cool. Why and then you... that didn't happen, so yeah. then, but it's like, yeah, you, oh, here's one thing for Goldeneye. Imagine the alternate universe in which John Woo directed this film. <laughs> well, I know that he wanted to. I know a lot of people want to. I knew Quentin Tarantino was, was desperate to do one, too. And Spielberg, I think, was desperate. And that's why how uh, Raiders of Lost Ark became a thing, because he couldn't get the rights to James Bond, and then he decided to do his own high-adventure series. Yeah, it's, I kind of would love to see a John Woo-directed Goldeneye, except for the fact that I do remember a John Woo-directed Mission Impossible film. Yeah, don't you fucking dare good. bring that up in this house. <laughs> So it's like he's a he's an amazing action director, and especially at that time. Yeah, but you can but... always tell. You can almost always tell who's going to be a douchebag based on which Mission Impossible is their favorite. If they say two, you're like, oh, all right, they're Olympus. Get, I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, that's the other but, thing is that yeah, during this time, during this time. There really was no spy movies. There was True Lies, which was a big hit, and then If Looks Could Kill um, with Richard Grieco, which was an absolute flop. That was basically the only spy movie, so I think people were hungry for that genre to come back, and it was before um, Austin Powers made it a spoof kind of thing. So, yeah, I can see why this did so well, and I, I don't think it even opened that well. Like, I think it opened okay, and then just word of mouth just kept it going for like six weeks during Christmas. Yeah, and well, it's also this has a great cast too. In general, even if it they didn't, this had nothing to do with the Bond franchise. They just yeah. had all the same actors. I mean, Sean Bean's in it, Fuck uh, Dessen, uh, Alan Cummings in this damn thing, Jackie Caro, just like so many good people and just. <laughs> you know, interspersed in this film. I remember I had seen The Living Daylights for the first time just prior to GoldenEye because I was getting revved up for James Bond movies. And I saw Joe Don Baker and I was like, hold the fucking phone. Now, hold, wait a second. See, that also yeah. screws up the theory because unless he has a twin brother who's good, who also works in the government, that doesn't work because just a couple of movies ago, he was a villain. Yeah, that's... I was like, wait a second. But then again, that's also... He's taken over for Felix because there's still some continuity of right. Yeah, Felix is Felix is now retired and he's you know living the life of a one-legged man. Oh, it's so confusing. So yeah, it's but it, it Goldeneye itself, the the final action sequence on that satellite station is so impressive and, and honestly terrifying. I'm I'm, I'm terrified of heights. And oh, that's right. The beginning of it starts really high up too because they scale down via like you know the way the Universal Soldier started. No, no, that's right. No, Universal uh, Soldier starts off with them scaling down on the ropes really fast. This one is the bungee yeah. cord, right? Yeah, the bungee cord off the off the top of the uh, dam. Such a bonkers way to start it. Man, the thing this movie only cost $50 million. That's crazy to me because $50 million barely buys you, you know, like the basic action movie. Yeah, different time, different uh, budget. I'd, I'd be interested to see how much this actually costs with inflation. No, oh, yeah, I imagine way more. But also, it's before he got the big twenty million dollar paydays. You know, before they really started traveling all over the place. I think a lot of this was pretty contained into one or two locations. The second one is where it goes kind of it starts to go awry really fast. I think the action's yeah. great. I think the cast is great. 
but you can almost see like, oh, this is a little excessive. This is a little too long, and the one-liners are getting worse. Oh, man. It, it's, I was looking forward to watching this one because I was thinking about, like, Tomorrow Never Dies. That's the one where the guy is trying to, uh, you know, basically make the news. Right. This is going to be interesting in now this in this current climate of fake news and all this stuff where it's like, I hope to see how this works. And I think this film, it wasn't great. It, like, even when it came out, I remember not particularly loving it. I thought, you know, yeah, action sequences were fine, but kind of, eh. Yeah, because Jonathan but, Price just isn't that interesting. Like, the concept is fine, but he himself isn't interesting. He's got a Dolph Lundgren clone as a, a side henchman or whatever. And I do remember coming out of the theater going, it was okay, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'd ever own it. And um, it's not going to launch a very successful Nintendo 64 game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this film now in is now a little bit more important yeah. in a sense. By the way, when we say fake but news, that... we mean legitimate fake news. We don't say it like Trump yeah. says it. Like where he just Whatever he doesn't yeah. agree with is fake news. And we literally mean manufactured Cause, news. Because uh, this was – it was never really a hidden idea at this that uh, Jonathan Price's character was basically a takeoff of of Rupert Murdoch anyway. Right. So, I lost you, boy. I lost you. It's essentially, nowadays, we've got... Jonathan Price was always a uh, stand-in for Rupert Murdoch, his character anyway. And now they've... Now that we've passed that and into this new world of, yeah, manufactured news into false uh, information being disseminated this just this movie really does change kind of becomes a lot more sinister than it was before oh yeah but yeah i think this is the last time that he really had something special with the series because die another no no it's not die another day uh the world is not enough is the one where i was in the theater rolling my eyes going oh god oh, shit we're back into roger moore territory yeah this oh okay this has a couple of really good things in it, but it's like minuscule in the, over the course of this entire film. Like, I like the theme to this film. I actually like the garb, uh, the theme by Garbage. Well, yeah, everybody likes I, Garbage. <laughs> 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 Who doesn't love Garbage? No, I mean that seriously, but that is a funny way to say that. But it's it's both Bond girls are god-awful. Robert Carlyle is a fantastic actor with a fantastic concept that goes nowhere. It's almost as if he wasn't even invited to auditions or uh, 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 rehearsal. It's just like he shows up, say your line, is, oh, that was it? I thought we were just pre- – oh, okay, we're done. Thank you. I just It was so mediocre, and the one-liners are fucking terrible. And I remember the action sequences yeah. being so insanely over the top that I was just like, come on, a, a log-cutting helicopter – no. Uh, yeah. You know, just, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. There's so much wrong with this film. Uh, but I will say this. I mean, granted, Desmond Llewellyn, this is his last Bond film as Q. He died shortly before the film came out. And so he, everyone was assuming he was going to return. But in that in that thing, his final line and, like, kind of how he leaves the franchise is – is so wonderful because just he's talking about you know he's showing us John Cleese as uh, the young man who might replace him in the future, <laughs> and uh, as he's as he's leaving you know he's just like he has this little uh, thing in his last slides like always leave always have an escape, and I'm just like oh man that's 
Perfect. Had they had they had they known that he was going to die, that would have been perfect. Not knowing it and giving him that fine that exit, just yeah, it's like everything about that just kind of like oh man. You know, it's it's uh for some reason I thought Die Another Day was Q's last one, but I, I for some reason I guess I misplaced which movie that happened in. Uh, I can't, you know what's funny is I can't even remember the the plot of this movie. Oh, there's there's a plot where it's I, I tried literally I will read you my my plot notes. Okay. Bond must protect, yeah I Bond must protect an oil heiress and stop a terrorist from destroying oil pipelines or something like that. There's bombs in it. Motivations aren't really clear. <laughs> Damn, this movie sucks. Yeah, I just remember her going, "I'm a nuclear physicist," and I was like, "Nope." No, 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 forget it, oh, and your last name's Christmas, no, nobody's last name, stop it. No, her first name's Christmas. Oh, for, her like first name's Christmas? Because... No, that really, I forgot yeah, that. Christmas Jones, yeah, Dr. Christmas Jones. Oh, God, I remember at the oh. end when he said, uh, Christmas only comes, I thought Christmas only came once a year, and I was like, oh, fuck, fuck no, that's not how you end this movie. Yeah, at least, at least it was a terror read. Uh, not, not that she was the person up oh, for it, but she's probably too short. That, uh, Uwe Boll film. Oh god, uh, yeah. Yeah, Alone in the Dark. That's it. That's it. Right. And yeah, at least, at least Denise Richards can act. Uh, not good. Yeah, I was gonna say you. You said that in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, you know, she at least can't. Uh, she's been good in stuff. But, yeah, not this. What has she been good in? You tell me what she's been good in. Uh, Starship Troopers. No, she's not good in that. She's intentionally bad. Well, they, they, they cast well, her because they knew she was terrible. Paul Verhoeven's been fucking with us for decades. <laughs> Paul Verhoeven? No, Paul what he's doing. Yeah. And, that's, and I'll even give give that when everyone shits on... Uh, on Showgirls. Paul Verhoeven knows what he's doing. Yo, he knows exactly what he's doing. He, and no one was in on the joke until yeah. later when we were all kind of like sat there going, wait a minute, did he do this on purpose? And you're like, oh shit, he did. And oh, you know what? I just thought of one. She is actually really good in Drop Dead Gorgeous with uh, Kirsten Dunst. That movie's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And Sophia Marceau is just a dud. She's just a pretty face. Yeah. There's just nothing there. I, I think this is the lowest point of the Pierce Brosnan run. I know a lot of people say Die Another Day is. Um, I, I don't well, think so. I was going into this going, oh shit, I have to watch Die Another Day, don't I? I remember hating that movie with a passion. And I uh, getting through this, I'm going, Christ, was this movie really that bad? And I just kind of forgot. <laughs> Yeah, so I skipped. I skipped Die Another Day because uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was so bleh. And I think maybe because my expectations were so low by this point that I was actually okay with Die Another Day. I think it has two interesting villains. It has a couple interesting action sequences, even though they're completely far-fetched and comic booky. I mean, I was watching, uh, what, what's the last one, uh, Fate of the Furious, going, oh yeah, this feels just like Die Another Day. <laughs> I could not. I, I tried to watch that one. I couldn't. Yeah, it's, it's gone too far. I, I think they know that watch. too. I, I think they know the Fast and Furious franchise has hit a wall because um, you haven't heard anybody mention Part Nine, have you? Even though the last one made a billion dollars. Well, I've, I've heard that they're that the spinoff is a, is going to happen, and 
we should see something from that event. Oh yeah, no, they're 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 filming it right now, Shaw and Hobbs. That one, but it's still not. You know, I just don't think people like Vin Diesel. I think the reason the series has been so successful is because of the people around him. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're gonna do with nine, especially with you know no Paul Walker. Period. It really hurt eight. And you can you know you can get a great villain too. And I just I think the only way to end the series is get all the surviving villains from the rest of the series and just get them to form their own super villain team and basically just turn into the Justice League versus uh, the Legion of Doom. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I might be down for that. <laughs> and Vin yeah. Diesel has to die at the end. <laughs> Just end this shit. But um, Die Another oh, Day. Um, you know, they really wanted a miniseries, or not a miniseries, a spinoff with Jinx. I remember they were pushing hard for that. And this is the first time I think the Bond girl was a known commodity. Like, she was really known. She had won the Oscar um, a couple years yeah. earlier. And so, you know, no, I think that year is when she won well, for yeah. um, Monsters Ball. Yeah. Because they, they had to shut down production because she went to the Oscars and won her and got her Oscars. Yeah. Well, I know they shut down production, too, because she had a piece of shrapnel in her eye, which is fucking insane. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the only main reason why that didn't happen, and I am torn be, torn for the reasons. Uh, I get I get why, because the movies that they were trying to, uh, that came out around that same time were Charlie's Angels 2 and Tomb Raider 2. Oh, both and those, tanked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, they did fine, just not as well as everybody wanted. So it's kind of like, oh, female, female-led action films aren't going to go anywhere. We can't do this. Yeah. But I also kind of thought about it. I went, I get it. Okay, yeah, she's an NSA agent, you know that. I kind of didn't want that because there was that. There's a moment in the film where she's like, kind of breaking into the uh, into the bad guy's uh, facility, and I'm kind of thinking, it'd be better if she was a thief. If she was essentially Catwoman. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah. don't you dare bring you that know. up. Yeah. <laughs> That's another yeah. reason why they probably didn't go. The stench on Catwoman was so bad, even though I know it was a year and a half later. But that's probably when they were starting to ramp up production on Jinx. I think the, the stench on Catwoman was so bad. They're just like, you know what? Let's just wash our hands of this. You know what? That is, I didn't even think about that until after I said it. Yeah. But it's like, you know, basically her being a thief. Her kind of doing that, that sort of stuff. And that going... That would have actually been a much more interesting character, and uh, concept for a film series was basically her being the quote-unquote gentleman thief, uh, going around and doing stuff, and then maybe, yeah, you Pierce Brosnan or whatever show up to kind of tie those things in again a little bit more, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, that... Uh, well, okay, so I remember the beginning of it is he's meeting up with those Chinese uh, military guys, and they're trying to steal uh sell some weaponry and then he sets off a bomb and it blows up and that guy gets the diamonds permanently embedded in his face which is kind of cool yeah because it is one of those jaws rules where it's like oh this is a really memorable villain but then the brother changes his face they become that british guy from kimberzine from severance yeah yeah they have uh there's a gene therapy thing going on where you can essentially rewrite your dna that's ridiculous yeah well it's like i will say this i like this film a couple of things from there. Uh, I think the the theme by Madonna is ear rape worthy. It's it's one oh. of the worst fucking themes. Oh, her performance is worse. Her performance is worse. Don't you dare! Yeah, it's like oh, yeah, you know, no, you're no, you're no, doubling no. down on the Madonna. Why? I, why? I'm not, I'm not gonna say she's. I'm not saying she's good in this, or even I didn't even. You know, no, but that theme is worse than a performance in the film. Ugh. I just want to stab my ears out listening to that. I thought the fencing but, battle was interesting, though. That was fun. 
Yeah, listen, it's the film really starts to fall apart once you get to the Ice Palace, and even then, it's kind of near the end of that sequence. Uh huh. But a lot of that is uh, Lee Tabahari's fault. Yeah. The, uh, like in the opening, in the gun barrel sequence where the the bullet goes through the gun barrel. Uh huh. That was his idea. Uh, he also had the idea of doing the kite surfing uh, sequence, where Bond escapes uh, the uh, the laser satellite sunbeam thing. Yeah, for some reason, but, I was really hyped up for Lee Tamalhari because um, I don't know if you've seen Once Were Warriors or his follow-up Mulholland Falls. Oh, yeah. Those are pretty good. He's a good, yeah, he's a good director. And then he did this. <laughs> and then everything went to shit. I mean, okay, so I actually think Triple X2 is a, a fun watch. It's incredibly stupid, but it's really fun. And then he did that one next with uh, Nicolas Cage. And then yeah. he just kind of disappeared. And here's the horrible thing. He didn't disappear because his movies were terrible. He disappeared because he was shamed into hiding because he was caught cross-dressing or something like that. That he was a transvestite, uh, and I was like, "Who gives a shit? Why? Why is that a fucking yeah, thing?" That, <laughs> no, that, that that's a shitty thing to do to a person. Yeah, but uh, this was this film did come out on the 40th anniversary of the franchise, so this film is just completely littered with references to all the other films. I mean, some some are kind of obvious, like in the. Uh, when, we, when he comes up and meets John Cleese. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call him R, but in the film he's, he's called Q. But when he meets R in the uh, little abandoned tunnels, there's a couple of the old old things there. But literally, it's like, uh, you, could, you could run through this entire film and go, that's a reference, that's a reference, that's a reference. <laughs> so that's kind, of, that's kind of a part of the problem with this film, is that it's less of a film and more of just, hey, look, we made a film to honor every single thing of 40 years of movies. Right, it's like a greatest hits collection. You know, but this also, again, Lee Tamahari's not a bad director, and the guys I'm going to mention have made, you know, some okay films, but this is there's also an alternate universe where Brett Ratner and Stuart Bilt both made uh, both made this film. Well, you know, it's funny, is I, you, you said Stuart Baird, and... He directed Star Trek Nemesis, which came out a couple weeks after this, and got murdered because James Bond and Lord of the Rings, uh, what's the second one called? The Two Towers? Basically destroyed Star Trek Nemesis. And I just thought that was funny that you mentioned Stuart Baird because that's what he ended up directing. I I, I actually like Stuart Baird. I think he did a couple decent movies, and um, it's kind of a shame that he went back to editing. Yeah, it's like, I can, I see, both of them have made films that I have not hated, but I will at least go. That's that's a better choice to yeah. for Lee Tamahari than than those two guys. Yeah, and this is. Yeah. I don't know if they ever plan on doing a fifth one with Pierce Brosnan, and then uh, MGM went bankrupt again. I think it's like the third time now they've gone bankrupt. Maybe fourth by the, the time we've done this podcast, but. They always seem to be struggling because someone stripped them of their catalog in 1989, and then they just have, for every hit that they had, they would always have like five or six duds, and it just ate away at them. And, and the James Bond movies got more expensive, more expensive. I think Die Another Day, I think if I remember correctly, cost $150 million, which in 2002 is a lot of money. Yeah. And if I remember right, this thing did make bank. This yeah. This thing did do very well. But, but it wasn't enough to prop up the studio. Yeah. 
Yeah, it. Oh, there's so much weird. Like these films really just kind of like it starts off for Bronson's Run. Truly starts off on the highest note and then just kind of dips, just snow, you know, nose dives into right into horribleness. Like the end of this film, I swear to God, I I started just making fun of it because uh, you have our villain wearing his little power suit. <laughs> And and I just I'm just looking at going like at one point he's got he's, uh, they're working on a glove for him that's gonna emit electric shock electric shocks I'm just like I love the power glove I know that's what I was gonna say it's so rad <laughs> oh man um, is this the one with the flipping car it has a little thing on the bottom of it and it misses a couple missiles by flipping it which is ridiculous. Honestly, don't, this is the invisible car. Oh, the invisible one, right. Or... I don't know what I'm thinking of. I you know there's a movie where he has a car that has like a little thing on the bottom of it and it'll flip it up well, and around. I want to say that was, I want to say that was in Tomorrow Never Dies, but that was also, that was the, he was remote controlling his car. Yeah, okay, okay. Huh. I don't yeah, know. Like, they they been, all get yeah, kind of confusing with the gadgets things, and so that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, these things all bleed together. Yeah. It's just, I love, I love, I do. I was just, I love looking at little trivia things because some of these ones, like, uh, okay, like, what were some of these ones? Uh, Pet Shop Boys almost did a theme for Living Daylight. What? Oh, oh Living Daylight. Okay, that and, makes a lot more sense, I guess, since they were red hot at that time. Eric Clapton and Vic Flick almost did the theme for Lights to Kill. Nice. Uh, Ace of Base did a theme for Goldeneye. Really? But it. But it didn't. But it uh, got. It ended up, uh, you know, obviously fell through, and it was end up recycled into a song called "The Juvenile." So if you want to look for that one, <laughs> it's uh, this Juvenile and Golden Eye have the same, you know, thing. So it's like, or at least how they were singing it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Tomorrow Never Dies' theme was actually chosen from a competition with a bunch of different bands. Uh, where like there was twelve entries. Uh, one of which uh, I know you can find, which is uh, Pulp. Their theme is a B-side to their single for Help the Aged. Okay, you know, uh, Pulp, are they the ones that sang Common People? Uh, I'm to look I that up. So. Pulp. I, I know that yeah. name. I, yeah. I'm expecting you to We're say Smash movie. Mouth. A 1997 movie yeah. theme song. I'm expecting you to say Smash Mouth. <laughs> Actually, one of them is... Uh, I think it was for Gold, yeah, for Gold Knight, Rolling Stones offered the title song. Oh, uh, I can see that. Uh, was Silverchair one of them? Third Eye Blind? Mr. Cal? <laughs> Jamiroquai. Was Jamiroquai on one of those? He had to have been up on the yeah. list. Yeah, uh, World is Not Enough. Okay. Uh, common People, yeah, that's, like, that's Pulp's one big hit. Yeah. But also for uh, World is Not Enough, uh, Jerry Halloway from the Spice Girls was also going to was up for uh, Christmas Jones. Wow. Oh, was uh, for the... I, wow, I'm actually shocked for the acting part. I, you know what? I'll take her. I'll take her over Denise Richards. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, granted, I've not seen Spice World. No. I know people are crazy about Spice know. World, and I just don't get it. My girlfriend loves it, but she... Yeah, that was her kind of jam at the time, so... You know, I... I guess. <laughs> I shouldn't say anything because well, I think Spice World came out around the time of uh, the big hit with Mark Wahlberg and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, and I was fucking crazy for that movie. It's still fun, but I don't know why I was so obsessed with it. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's. There's. Yeah, 
I think the other interesting one was Peter Jackson almost did World Is Not Enough. Oh, wow. Like, uh, Barbara Broccoli, uh, she was she was interested in him because of uh, Heavenly Creatures, but then she saw The Frighteners, <laughs> and she was like, no, I do not want this. You know, I do not oh, like what he did with this. See, if I had seen so The like Frighteners, that. I would have been like, yeah, I can do it. You know, now if I had seen Dead Alive, and I, I may have been apprehensive, I was like, oof. But, you know, he did Frighteners for like $30 million, and it looked like a $70 million movie. And that shows me right there. I was like, well, he can be exciting and fun and uh, save us some money. Nope. Oh, Jake Busey yeah, could have yeah. been the villain. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that'd be, that'd be interesting. I defy you to find any performance by Gary B- or by Jake Busey where he doesn't say, God damn it, like 80 times. <laughs> He does. Every single movie I've ever seen. The worst is Black Cat Run with Patrick Muldoon, written by Frank Darabont, where he says it like every other second. Uh, (laughs) I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's kind Uh, of obscure. All right, so I think think we kind of hit the end. I don't know what to say. Um, That it it started off so promising and ended so, uh, you know, it's a sign of the excess of Hollywood. I don't understand why it is that some of these movies feel like they have to spend the money if they have it. Like, sometimes I, I, I love the Marvel movies, but sometimes I'm like, you could have cut this down. You don't need to spend the money just because you got it. Use it for some other project. The James Bond movies, I think, are better when the budgets are tighter. They definitely are. Or at least when they have a much more focused uh, concept. Because some of these films, like when we were talking about View to a Kill, where all of a sudden they just kind of go off or an hour and a half on horses and it's like where are you going with this right it sometimes it feels like a mad libs movie like it's just like oh we have all these empty spaces just fill in the spot with whatever random thing you know it's just it doesn't all line up like it's supposed to and i think that's why the born identity took its place for a little while because this is in 2002 when the first one came out and that was a sensation and that kind of took the heat off of the james bond movies because now they became cartoonish and I think that's why people kind of got bored with it. And then when we relaunch it here with uh, Daniel Craig, it's when it's more of a born flavor. Yeah, and, they, and these stories are definitely a lot more concentrated. They aren't... Personal? They aren't, yeah, well, there's definitely some personal stuff in that, but it's not as uh, sci-fi, I guess, would be the nice, nice right, way to right. put it. Because some of these things just go off into weird, <laughs> weird tangents that it's like... You're stretching credibility now. Lots of lasers. Lots of lasers during the Roger Moore period. <laughs> yeah. Again, so they're going the sun, the Icarus sunbeam from Die Another Day. It's like, I like this idea, except I literally know that's the only reason why you have it is because you're going to melt this ice palace that everybody's in. Yeah. It's like, like okay, you're going to destroy the, the, uh, the, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. All right, all right. <laughs> So it's like, no, the reason why it exists is because you're doing this. It doesn't have to be a sunbeam, <laughs> except we're going to melt this damn ice palace. Right, right. Yeah, it, uh, we have one episode left. It's going to be the Daniel Craig four films. And as far as we know, we don't even know if there's going to be a fifth one. So that'll be our final film examining that. Then we'll jump into the Star Trek one, which I've already watched all of them, which uh, was a blast. And uh, then we'll jump into our Kaiju stuff probably by April. Maybe. And um, that's it for us here. Thank you for listening. Um, Check us out on Video Night Podcast on Facebook. And 
Uh, I guess John set us up. Everybody, enjoy yourselves, and we'll see you next time. That's it. I, I'm getting hungry and tired, so I gotta go. Good night, everybody. Hey, later, guys. Everybody, welcome to the final episode of Downloads Are Forever, the James Podcast. Bondcast? What did we call it? We changed the name like ten times. I think it's the James Bondcast because I think I'm clever. I'm not. Bondcast. <laughs> uh, I'm Michael, and my co-host is on the other side. Hey, hello to everybody, John. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? I love just pushing around. Do what I do my bidding. <laughs> Let me get my eye patch and my cat described. <laughs> um. So, it's been a little gap since the last episode. Uh, apologize for the wait. Uh, the journey's come to an end. I was going to hold off, because by now I assumed that the next Bond movie would be ready to go, and we were just going to kind of do that, and it, it keeps getting delayed, so I don't know if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> you know, they keep saying that there is. Allegedly, uh, Kerry Joji Fukunaga, uh, the, the guy who did, who did the It, yeah. did It. He's, he's supposed to be doing directing this one now. Yeah, well, so, is it now it's a script doctor thing, right? They brought in someone to work on it, punch it up? Something like that, yeah. yeah. There, there's, but then considering how a lot of these films go, why are they working on a script? They just go out and shoot something. <laughs> so call what? it a Bond movie. Eh, no, end. I don't know, man, because it's not like the old Bonds. Now, you know, there's a period where it was every two years. It had to be like every two years, so like clockwork. It didn't matter if the script was ready or anything. It's like, Roger Moore's getting older. Let's go. And uh, Pierce Bros is getting older. Let's go. And at the rate they're going, it's amazing that it's been 13 years since Casino Royale. We've only had four films. Like, that's not how that works. No, that, this is a lot of delays, a lot of issues, a lot of a lot of fighting. We've we've kind of talked about this a lot. It's the Bond films have had like the most lit, lit, is the most litigious series of all times. It seems it's just crazy. Well, that, and they're also uh, uh, the bankruptcies weren't helping. They went bankrupt in '89, and they went bankrupt in what 2005. Then again, and like they had serious financial troubles. Like they couldn't get the Hobbit going. They couldn't get the next James Bond going. And MGM has just been a studio that's been struggling forever, ever since Ted Turner bought them and stripped it of its catalog. Yeah. It, at this point, it's I'm I'm expecting uh, the next Bond to be completely recast. I at this point, I, I'm not. I like Daniel Craig. I like this. I in in watching these films again, I really do think Daniel Craig's run has been the best. But granted, it's still you know it's like. I was going like, oh yeah, with uh, with Pierce Brosnan, like forty percent of his run is good, and I but I think I highly associate Brosnan with Bond. Uh, this one, it's like yeah, the four films, basically seventy five percent of his films are really good. Yeah, well, and it's, yeah. but also you got to look. Even if he wanted to continue, which he always, he's always talking about quitting. Like even after the first one, he's like, oh fuck this, I'm out. And then they keep offering more and more money. I don't know if he's playing them for more money. Isn't he getting twenty five million dollars for this next one? 
Something like that. That's yeah, ridiculous. Mean, like, they know they could recast. You could hire me to play James Bond for $100,000, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I, I, I'm very curious who and what direction they're going to go next. Who I is mean, it regardless of what... Yeah, they're talking about... Who is it they're always talking about replacing him? Uh, the guy from uh, Dark Tower. Uh, shit. Oh, uh, Idris Elba. Idris Elba, but he is getting too old now. I mean, by the time they get that going, he's going to be 50. And you can lie all you want and say, oh, age doesn't matter. Yeah, it actually kind of does matter in the James Bond series because it beats the shit out of you. Well, it's what? Also, the kid from uh, Kingsman, I think, is one of the ones where people are kind of saying, mm-hmm. hey... He's done. He's done the James Bond type film. Let's get him in a James Bond film. Yeah, but he's kind of short, isn't he? Am I wrong? I think he's kind of diminutive. Well, he's, yeah, but that's what Apple boxes are for. Oh, okay. You know, but also I want to. I want to see the Kingsman franchise continue because I absolutely adore the first two. And with Fox selling to Disney, I don't know if there's going to be a three, and I don't know if it's going to be R-rated. But man, that seems like there's so much more potential. Like that is an, a love letter to the old school Bond movies, all the crazy gadgets. And that's kind of something they dumped in this new series. Daniel Craig, they take it back to the absolute just uh, almost a level of where, um, uh, why can't I think of it? Uh, License to Kill. You know, that almost that well, level. The, well, I was thinking about this, and Die Another Day notwithstanding, I kind of thought about this and went, there's kind of two eras of Bond, in a in a sense. You have the, uh, you have the, Sean Connery and Roger Moore era, which became very bombastic, very kind of like there's some kind of wild ideas out there in some in some cases, like with uh, uh, Live and Let Die, it's like supernatural in some cases yeah, yeah. Uh, elements to these to some of these films. Lots of lasers. Kind of went, <laughs> yeah, and then kind of once you get to uh, to uh, ah, Living Daylights, not Roger Moore. Yeah, once you get to Living Daylights, and from there on. It's a little more grounded in reality. And, and then again, I also go, die another day notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one gets a little crazy. <laughs> how, how insane that one goes. But we all, you know, again, their 50th anniversary, we're making a mixtape, not a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this, I kind of see it's like there's, you know, Dale Craig's is basically the summation of all this because it's definitely grounded in in a reality that is tangible to all of us as opposed to any of these other things since there's very little in the way of gadgets and stuff like that being yeah. kind of mock well yeah he i think he says a joke in skyfall he's like we don't go for that kind of like stuff around here you know like no exploding pens you know it's real simple like all the gadgets are very very grounded i think the most library they get is like you know the gun that can detect your fingerprints you know and it will fire if it's you, but it won't fire if it's someone else. It's really practical special, or not special effects, uh, gadgets. Yeah, and that's, that's what I think. It's like, and again, yes, and I'm, I'm also talking, yes, this is a thing with a remote-controlled car and things like that, but plots and things like that from <laughs> no invisible from cars. That time on <laughs> just, kind of, just kind of seem like they're a little more tangible. Well, you know what changed was Born like, Identity came out in 2002, and some of all fears probably had a little bit of to do with it. you know that, those were both in 2002 and those were like international espionage and spy stuff but very grounded in reality and yeah and that's and that's kind of what I, I respect about about the daniel craig films is that it's also this is the only group craig's run is essentially a four film trilogy yeah because the stories all do link up together whereas a lot of the bond movies they didn't in fact 
It never really did connect, did it? It always seemed like it was just a one-and-done adventure where there's no linking. Yeah, the most that we had was uh, between Dr. No and From Rush With Love. They mentioned in, in the beginning, Bond killed Dr. No. We have to we have to get him. But that's... And, and then there's, you know, references here or there to, like, uh, Bond being married yeah. and things like that. So you kind of... It's it was a loose connection, but yeah, it was essentially every story you could jump in on at almost any point of the franchise and understand what's what you know what's going on. Yeah. Whereas you walk into uh, <clears throat> we're gonna jump a I'll jump a little bit ahead, but you jump into Quantum of Solace and it's you know directly it is the third act to Casino Royale essentially or fourth act really. What I think is funny is that everybody's bitching. Ah, oh, James Bond can't be blonde. This guy isn't fit for it, you know. And, and now it's like, oh no, we can't have anybody but Daniel Craig. It happens with every Bond, it seems, except Timothy Dalton, where they're just like, ah, oh, it's a new Bond. We can't tolerate this, and you know. And then, uh, oh, well, we can't replace him. It seemed like Timothy Dalton were like, eh, and then they got rid of him. Eh. <laughs> but now, upon reflection, we appreciate his work. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let Let's. Yeah, yeah let, let's jump into this quick. Let's let me say this real so, quick. I I think the fact that they finally touched upon the fact that there's some joy that James Bond finds in the chaos and the destruction, almost like almost a sociopathic level. Um, especially like there's a scene when when there's a big bomb that blows up and the guy gets killed, and he just kind of has that small smile on his face, like he takes joy in it. And it's by the end of the movie is when he changes into a, a full fledged you know human being with a, a, a emotional range, which I don't think was ever really touched in the series outside of the end of um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Well, it's and that's also because he had a it's Vesper who's really the thing where he kind of. He's going into this, going, yeah, I'm gonna go and I gotta fight, I gotta fight the bad guys and do all this stuff. And when he sees kind of the the emotional toll it takes on someone who's not trained for this, right? Because he, because he's, you know, he's divorced from all this stuff. Uh, the girlfriend of that, uh, of that, God, you know, trying to think of like who all these people are in this film. The girlfriend of the guy that he ends up killing. Oh, the uh, Russian girl, the one from. Uh... Oh, yeah, damn it. She, she's always like the model in these movies. But I remember her oddly enough from one of the Howling yeah, like movies, the, I think the remake. Olga. Yeah, the like Longs or something like that is, yeah, is yeah. the character name. Um, she's you know who gets killed, and he's just kind of me. Eh. Yeah, um, it's it's part of the job, but which is required. I mean, he has a job that's severely dangerous. You can't have emotional involvement. You have to do it. You know. And they, they come upon this numerous times in the series where they have to make really hard decisions. And if you're emotional like I am, you couldn't do it. But he has to. He has no choice. Yeah, and that's and that kind of seems. And we get uh, as these films progress a little bit more. As you said, he you kind of see partially sociopathic, but then he's slowly there's cracks in this, and he yeah. starts to, you know, he's got feelings that he's trying. He has to constantly bury to. To keep doing the job. Well, I think Skyfall does a really good job of explaining, like, his tragic uh, childhood and then that he had to, like, separate himself in order to manage through life. And that's why he became that way. You know, and, and then it slowly, like you said, his shell starts to crack and he becomes a normal human being. And uh, I think that's what makes this, uh, like you said, almost like quadrilogy uh, way better. For and, and the series is so much better for it because I just got sick and tired of the... Uh, the gadgets and the quips and the and just the bullshit, the, the the cliches of the whole series. Yeah, and this, especially Casino Royale, really, really doesn't focus on any of that. 
Partially because it is the new Bond origin story. Yeah. You get to see him. Well, it's also the directors. The, the, the way they chose the directors uh, altered the series. Now, Martin Campbell might be the most underrated action director, I think, in the world. And he saved, you know, the Pierce Brosnan series with Goldeneye. But he isn't exactly a guy who's known for, like, deep emotions in his stuff. He's just really good with spectacle and action sequences. And the very beginning of Goldeneye and Casino Royale are so memorable. They set the pace immediately, and they're just, like, jaw-dropping. I can't believe, like, okay, parkour is a joke now. We all joke about it because of The Office. And ridiculous people who tried parkour, they end up just breaking their ass. But it's still astonishing to watch that sequence. It is. And it's one of the things where... You 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 sit there and go like, there's no very very little CG in this thing. I mean, it's pretty much. I mean, even wires like aside from uh, Dale Craig being held up held up by by wires in a couple of moments, it's you're pretty much just watching this one dude run around doing his parkour stuff, unassisted by yeah. anything, and it's, I mean, amazing. Yeah, and what I noticed about this movie is every single sequence, even the slower ones, completely memorable. I think I've seen this movie maybe 20 times now, and it's just amazing. And the thing that you and I talked about before we went live is that I have trouble with Quantum of Solace, even though it is just continuation. I mean, it's a direct continuation. Like, the second Casino Royale ends, you jump right into Quantum of Solace. I remember the opening sequence with the car chase. I remember that crazy warehouse sequence where he's, like, tied up in the ropes and stuff like that, and he spins around and shoots a guy. I don't remember anything else. I mean, I literally finished it, and I was like, Wait, hold on. I, 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 did I just watch a movie? I watched a movie, right? I mean, it wasn't bad. There's nothing incompetent about it at all. But I think a lot of the problem is the fact they chose Mark Forster as a director, who did well with um, what's that one? Stranger Than Fiction, isn't he? Didn't he do that one where? Uh, yeah, he did that one. I love. I do like Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. But I hate Mark Forster. I hate him with a passion because he's responsible for the movie Stay. Oh, I understand. I had to sit one. through. It's bad. Just. Huh. But he's not a guy known for action. He's a guy for character stuff. And I think that's the problem is I found myself like, <laughs> what happened? Like, he overcompensates, I think, in the beginning. Like, the first half hour is nonstop action. And then the rest of it is just slow, plodding. Well, my, I, I hated I, I hated watching Quantum of the Solace because the action sequences are so poorly directed. Like, you're, you're watching... Whoever is holding the camera is standing in the middle of an earthquake oh, while all this yeah. interesting stuff is happening. Like, they're, the action sequence where, they, where they're doing the boat, you know, the motorcycle to the boat chase, I could have, you know, that looks like it probably is the most amazing uh, Bond sequence, maybe not ever, but one of the most, you'd be like, alleged one of the best top ones. If you could actually see what was happening. Well, that's a curse of action movies. Uh, they say Born Identity actually ruined action movies because Doug Lyman shoved the camera in there and shook it around. I say it was actually Saving Private Ryan. I mean, great film, but that opening sequence was shaky cam and felt authentic, but it only worked for that one movie. Then everybody tried to replicate yeah. it afterwards. And watch any war movie um, after Saving Private Ryan and the camera shakes the entire time I'm going to puke. Yeah, I know. It, it's frustrating. That's... That, that's part of why I think Quantum of Assaults got attacked so heavily is because it's there. Nothing happens in it really. It is it is a pointless film in the sense that if you tried to just sit down and watch it on its own, it has there's nothing to it because everything about it hinges on the fact that it's all continual plot threads from 
Casino Royale. Yeah, it, it, it feels like you're spinning your wheels for three hours. Every single one of these James Bond movies is so long. And I almost feel like it's arbitrary. Like, oh, well, we got a full three hours. Why? Because that's what yeah. the audience expects. Well, do we have enough story? Nah, just fill it. Just fill it. Give them their money's worth. Yeah. I don't want that. And and that's, and I think that's the irony of it is Casino Royale, if you think about it, there's nothing. It's, it's also a pointless movie because all it is is Bond is trying to get is trying to uh, beat a banker out of money. True. It's. I mean, there is. It is. You sit there and think about it, and you go like, "There's. We we've got all these action sequences that are amazing, and I love this. I love Casino Royale so much. But I was. You're talking about the bloat of these films. Yeah, I was. Casino Royale really is. The, one of the most bloated. <laughs> well, here's what Thanks, works. I think I think what, what saves the movie, and no one wants to give him credit, is Mads Mikkelsen is so phenomenal as the villain in this movie that you're willing to sit through like those long sequences. Whereas um, in the second one, now they start some interesting stuff. He goes, you know, you know, there's this group called Quantum, and you know, there's this massive group that were everywhere, and you can't be stopped. We're further than you think. Um, and that is an interesting idea that seems to just sit there. And I was just like, ugh, he just wasted it. Plus, the villain is so bland. I don't understand. Is there a thing yeah. now? Now, I'm touching on dangerous ground right now. But I feel like movies are afraid to cast anybody who isn't white and European as the villain in any movie because they're afraid they'll be accused of, oh, racism. I mean, not that there's bad people of every single race. And I just feel like it's becoming all the villains look and act the exact same way. So I'm just like, I, I, I can't tell. Like, why is it that they well, can't? It, yeah. Well, in a way, this works because Quantum, which then we also learn is also just a subsidiary of Spectre. Right. But uh, Quantum seemed to be a bunch of old, rich, white uh, Europeans. And, and that was a big part <laughs> of what it was, was these people had had their fingers in everything yeah. so they were the shadow, you know the shadow government of europe to be fair and this europe is more this is closer to real life though because i think we're all discovering and some people want to ignore it we're all discovering in the last couple of years that russia has basically turned into the real life version of specter like they're just in everything everywhere do you think it's a little strange that uh giuliani kicked the italian mob out of uh new york city and said oh everything's cleaned up and safe now and did not a fucking thing about the russian mob in new york city that seems odd. Yeah, I, I, I fear my safety of saying anything on the internet. So. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, they, we're nobodies. They don't give a shit about us. No one's yeah, gonna believe us. We're, we're gonna say they're gonna say we're assholes. Hey, you're listening to the James Bond cast. If you're not used to the Russians being the villain, then you're not paying attention to the Bond movies. Oh, <laughs> uh, now one thing I didn't think about with Casino Royale that I realized in watching this. Yeah. Casino Royale's the first movie where Bond loses. Yeah, yeah, and then this kind of a theme that goes throughout the the four movies is sometimes there's victories, but there's all these little losses too. Skyfall has a massive loss, uh, even though he technically defeats a villain. There's a huge loss there, and I, I just think that's more realistic than these. Like, oh, I got my one liner in this crazy setup to kill the bad guy. Yeah. You know what's funny is at the end of Casino Royale, I didn't realize those were miniatures. I feel like a moron for not figuring that since I'm such a movieaholic and I can usually eyeball that stuff. I, I thought those were really old uh, abandoned buildings that were just like, well, we got to destroy them anyway, so let's just do it. No, they're not. They're miniatures, and I was mind blown because they look so good. Well, that's you would assume, especially with uh, it being a Bond film and it being Martin Campbell, practic practicality is kind of his thing. Yeah. You, you see vertical you limit, think, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, so good. I can't believe he did some of that stuff because a lot of it was just on the soundstage. I'm like, did you digitally alter all this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a way. And, you know, it's like a lot of map shots and stuff like that. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, for Quantum of Stalls, there was, and I guess maybe it's on the DVD. I don't know. I don't have the DVD. Uh, but there was an extended ending, at least shot, where uh, Bond actually met with Mr. White, our uh, big villain of the whole thing at that point. Uh-huh which was supposed to actually set up the third Bond film. Okay. Uh, what would, would have been, I don't know, necessarily know if it would have been Inspector, but uh, would have at least been kind of how we ended Casino Royale, where it's, you know, let's have a chat. And so the idea was, okay, we're going to set up this thing, and they got dropped because, you know, just in case, in case yeah. they, well, something it, happened. Yeah, like, it did okay. I mean, it didn't do as well as Casino Royale, I don't think. But um, I think a lot of it was the critical reception was poor, and the audience was just like, well, I don't... It was just a typical Bond movie, so it wasn't anything special, and that's what they want to do now. And I think that's why you have fewer Bond movies, because they're really, really careful now. And choosing Sam Mendes is not who I would have thought. I mean, honestly, on the list of people, because they always choose directors from the UK or Australia, or New Zealand, maybe. Um, I was just like, yeah, Sam Mendes, is your list running short? You just not have a lot of choices? And somehow they got it right. He really pulled back. He's not an action director, even though he did do Jarhead, which has action in it, and uh, Road to Perdition. But he made the action sequences really close to home, personal. And it, the, the movie's the better for it. And, well, it's also, it's because he's kind of an artsy director, this is, and I will say this, I think Sky, Skyfall is, of the entire franchise, I think Skyfall is the best Bond film. It might be. I, I was. It's definitely it. my top five. Yeah, it's. I think it, it has all the correct, all the best elements of the franchise. It it works on so many levels and it does so much. Uh, and yeah, it's. I think truly also the best looking Bond film. Like it just is a beautiful film to look at. The the best action like, sequence in it, I think, is the one where he's in the building, the sniper. Is in the building, oh, and yeah. they have all those lights bouncing off, and he's playing a lot with lights and shadow, and, and it's just, like, silhouettes. In that one scene, was they're fighting, and you don't really see them. You just see the, the silhouettes of them. I was like, that is a genius choice. That really pulls it back to the raw essence of an action sequence. Yeah, because, and it, it's, yeah, it's light and shadow, and it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, the the fight that they have, even, even when they're uh, fighting with the Komodo dragons and stuff like that. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Beautiful sequence. And that one is, they're all really tight too. None of these go on forever. It's really two or three minute action sequences, and they all go really well. The villain is phenomenal. And there's a scene in the movie, which I don't think would have been in any other Bond movie if it hadn't been controlled by Sam Mendes, is where you basically introduce by to Javier Bardem, where he's like in this vacant, uh, what is it, island or something like that? And there's all these Russian statues that have yeah. collapsed. And I was like, that's a really calm scene, and yet you, there's so much going on, so much important detail. Well, it's also just the lead-up to him, because he's just walking down a hallway, and he's talking a little bit, and it's just, it's a long shot. And it's, in a sense, with movies of this type, that's a brave thing to do, because you're all we're doing is just sitting on a single shot, not very many reactions or anything. Yeah, I mean, another brilliant choice they made was making him weak. He got shot in the shoulder. Apparently, he got shot twice because he gets shot in the uh, in that little construction vehicle as it's turning. He gets shot in the shoulder, but then she apparently shoots him again. 
with a sniper rifle and yeah. knocks him off and he lands in the water. And but they only ever mention he gets shot once. So it's kind of weird, but he can't lift his arm properly and aim. So he's lost his marksmanship. He's lowering his level of, you know, like, <laughs> you may not be a 007 for very long if you can't fix this. And that was an interesting well, no, thing to do is uh, taking away a lot of his power and his skill. Well, it's not necessarily that they don't, that they don't talk about him getting shot twice because that's how he gets the bullet is he pulls the bullet out of, out of himself and that's how they get the depleted uranium bullet. Oh, only three people does this and it's that guy there. <laughs> oh, so, right. I forgot so, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, it's referenced, but they don't, but it's not like, yeah, but everyone, you're right, no one ever goes, yeah, you got shot twice, what the hell? Yeah, it's, uh, but taking that out, it's kind of like the way they do with Batman, you know, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, you know, they cripple him, they take away everything from him, and he has to rebuild himself, and I thought, yeah, that's exactly what you need to do with James Bond. It's also smart that they made it about family, you know, as dysfunctional as they are, as pain the ass as M is to James Bond, and vice versa, it's about family and just really disrupting everything, taking away their headquarters, hunting her down, and the fact that Javier Bardem was one of them and that he was betrayed and he didn't get killed by this hideous. I've never even heard of that. I always In the movies, they always make cyanide like an ultimate death. Sometimes it doesn't kill you. It just strips your entire insides. That was brilliant. Yeah, and it's also, you know, like you said with Javier Bardem being a former agent and his obsession with calling her, mo calling her mother, Yeah, that it seems like that... She, that he was Bond before Bond. Yeah, and he's a bitter, angry he child, was, and he wants his vengeance on, you know, it's just he's still disgruntled about this. Oh, one thing, I I have my notes with Skyfall that I, I should bring up, because we forgot to mention it uh, in the last show, was all the title sequences from, uh, from Pierce Brosnan were, well, with the exception of Quantum of Solace, were done by a guy named Daniel Kleinman. And I think that's also... His his involvement in the title sequences also help a lot more because, as interesting as the title sequences in the previous films are, once we get to the Daniel Craig ones, those are some amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. no longer the cliches of naked women dancing around bullshit, and uh, also the songs. I got really sad when I was listening to Chris Cornell. I was like, son of a bitch. I mean, as a man who's attempted it myself, uh, I understand, but it's just like. Uh, it's just you wish wish people wouldn't take their lives, you know. It's just, yeah. but you, you can't have it. But I just got really sad. But that is one hell, man. That man has some serious lungs, and uh, I couldn't tell you who sings Quantum of Solace. I can't remember. Oh, it's a terrible song by Jack White and. Uh, oh Alicia. right, that was a huge mistake with Al Alicia Keys, right? Yeah, I, I, it's it it did not set the the tone for me in in the right way. I just kind of going, this it has. You know, lyrics like shoot them, bang, bang, and, <laughs> and O's. O's are not lyrics. No, no, la, la, la's, uh, uh, uh's, doobie, doobie, doobie's, scat, scat, scat. <laughs> Those are not words. I hate filler bullshit words. Um, but Adele comes now, back, I and she really just skyfalls a great song. Yeah, I, I'm not a big Adele fan, but this, like, like with a lot of things with this film, is this feels like it's an iconic Bond theme. Yeah. It feels like it, it belongs with Gold and, uh, Gold, uh, Goldfinger and, you know, Live and Let Die and a lot of these big, you know, well-known songs. It deserves its place in there. The one thing I could do without Skyfall, it's his only weakness, is, dude, uh, you know, Mission Impossible did this, like, you know, 
12 years or what, 15 years earlier doing the whole, hey, every single spy that's undercover is on this flash drive. They've done it in like 12 other movies. Are you fucking kidding me? You couldn't come up with anything else? <laughs> yeah, it's... <sighs> it's a do ex machina of that, though. It's not the important part, yeah. but I just like, that's okay, whatever. Well, well it's also the, the biggest problem with, uh, with Skyfall is also the fact that uh, Silva's plan really requires everything to go off without a hitch and everyone be in the right place at the exact right time. Yeah, kind of like Loki and the Avengers. I kept thinking about that. I was like, hmm, that's kind of uh, familiar. <laughs> yeah. If you if Bond is 30 seconds late, the train thing is not going to work. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. Um, so the, the last movie of the, of the four, because we, we still don't know if the, the fifth one's ever going to really be made. They might just call it quits. But... Um, Skyfall or Spectre isn't bad. It starts off great. Kind of reminded me of Live and Let Die. It has a lot of atmosphere. The opening sequence is amazing. The opening song is amazing. I really enjoyed it. I don't even know who that guy is. Sam. What's the guy's name? Sam. Yeah, uh, Sam Smith. Oh, Sam Smith. I was gonna say Sam Spade, yeah. but that's a detective. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Christoph Waltz is great. And in the last half of the movie is really good. It's the first half that I just have trouble with, and it was just kind of slow and plodding. It doesn't get good until he sh- uh, shows down with. Uh, Sorry, I can't talk. The showdown with Dave Bautista, and I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, and that's I think I'm I'm glad I love Dave Bautista in movies. He I it's one of those things where I never go, oh yeah, MMA or wrestlers, anything like that. I I don't think they're going to be any good, right. and most of them aren't. But then you get a a couple of these guys who show up, and Bautista is so wonderful. Yeah, have you and... seen that movie? I think it's called Bushwick or something like that. Where the alt right takes over a borough of New York City and he has to help defend it. I have not, but that oh, sounds interesting. Fucking rad! It seriously, it's he just gets up one day, whatever, walks out his front door and sees his entire neighborhood. Everybody's being mowed down. It's insanity. I mean, they're just nonstop. Everybody's being killed. He doesn't know who these people are, what they're there for, and to ruin it for you a little bit, it's this alt right group that has decided to take back their government. So they're in D.C. I think it, no, Bushwick is in New York, right? Uh, they decide they're just going to take over uh, all these liberal cities, whatever, and he has to defend it with his neighbors. And it's it, it never stops for a second, and it's really good. Uh, the guys who did Cooties, I don't know if you saw that movie, they directed it. I have not seen Cooties, but I have that on my DVR. Eventually, I'm going to yeah. get around to watch Yeah, and he's really good, and he's very sensitive, and he's got a lot of heart. Yes, he's the size of a Buick, but it's almost like a side note. It's almost like a, a deterrent, because, or not a deterrent, uh a negative because he's so big he can't hide very well. Yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes you need those big guys to uh, to take to take people out. And, but yeah, it's I love the fact that yeah, he, if we get continuity in this franchise from this point on, uh, I'm hoping he comes back because yeah, they're setting him to be Jaws. Yeah, I mean, there's not 100 certain he's killed. He's got the neck that's so thick. I don't know if it'd be broken by that being pulled off. I think he just got pulled off the train. That's it. Yeah, I, I sit there and go, no body, no death. So yep, he's, that's how that works. He'll be back hopefully. Yeah, and it's uh, they set up him as uh, as Blofeld, Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. You know, they take out his eye and you know make him a. The true villain, the lead the of scenario. all this stuff. And that was yeah. fun. I just, I don't know. I just like it took forever to get going. It's, yeah, it's a bit long. There's uh, a lot of it's also, we have our, we have the, the secondary villain uh, who uh, was Andrew Scott playing this uh, guy named Max, uh, Max Den, Denby or something like that. 
and you just the second you see him, you know he's a bad guy because he's just a little wormy bastard. Yeah. So so you're not really surprised by a sudden and inevitable betrayal. Oh, I forgot to mention the the new Q is I really enjoy him. What is it, Ben Middleson or something like that? So, uh, Ben Wishcott. Wish, okay, Wishaw. Yeah, that's right. Um, I keep there's too many Bens right now. <laughs> um, I really enjoy him as Q, and he really captures the spirit of the original Q. And um, what's the other one? Uh, and getting Ray Fines, I thought was fantastic. He's really good in this. Yeah, and they we also. Um, we get the kind of understand how they uh, name the M's now because we, you know, his name is Mallory, and he becomes M after uh, after uh, Judy Dench dies, and we do learn uh, her name as well. If you actually noticed uh, at the in the box that uh, Bond is given at the very end of the film, it actually has her name, which is Olivia Mansfield. Oh, okay. You know what's funny is we had this theory. I think we were discussing this last episode. We had this theory that there's James Bond is just a name, and new people are assigned that name. Um, but then, because especially because you know she's in the the Pierce Brosnan ones and the Daniel Craig ones in the same role, but what throws it off is don't isn't it in Skyfall where they go to the grave sites? Javier Bardem sees the tombstones of his parents and sees the real last name was Bond, and you're like, I, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> yeah, because that's because that's where they go in Skyfall is to the is the Bonds, you know, that's what Skyfall is is his home and that oh yeah we do have to pour one out for albert finney oh right uh, yes almost unrecognizable honestly i was uh, i looked at him like, oh wait that is albert finney i know it by the voice but not the face because that beard is so thick yeah and that was also supposed to be connery at one point no shit that would have been confused things even more <laughs> well, well that was that was part of the reason why they didn't go with it was they're going? Oh no, that that just would get too distracting. Yeah, it's like but, so. Uh, what is your theory? Is there a guy who just gets assigned the name of James Bond, or are they rebooting all this and they just happen to say, "Well, J- Judy Dench just is going to play M again"? Part, of, I still say it's a code name, but I will, but I will sit there and also uh, go. The Daniel Craig films are the reboot of that thing. Okay. The other films are all are all a. Are all code name being passed down, but we are just restarting the we're restarting the cycle in in this one. Yeah, because so yeah, if you look at the old Bond movies, they they were always having the same M and same Money Penny and and uh, same Q, different Bonds. But then you could also argue that the Batman movies, uh, well, they were played by Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, and George Clooney, but Alfred was always the same, the Commissioner was always the same, but. He, it wasn't different people taking over the Batman role. It was just like, hey, guess what? We have a new face. Ignore it. Just don't even think about it. So, yeah, it's really frustrating because I'm never sure about what's going on if it's uh, just a code name. Yeah, I mean, it would it would make sense if every time you did did a new Bond, you had a new Bond, you basically did a new origin. Yeah. That would help because then you sit there and go, okay, slate is wiped clean. We, you know, this Why? stuff is maintained within... But then why does he tell everybody, if he's a spy undercover, why does he tell everybody his fucking real name? That makes no sense to me. Unless he wants people to know, oh, God, I've heard of James Bond. He doesn't look like James Bond, but I've heard that name before. Oh, no. You know, it's, it's a strange choice. Well, it's probably it's probably partial psychological warfare where it's as long as he's got his, he's got his reputation, it's the only people who are going to mess with him are the people that he's out, he's after. You know, it's kind of like maybe a, a warning to any 
anyone out there going, hey, do you want to rob that guy? Well, that dude's James Bond. Stay the fuck away from yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, that's pretty much the end of it for us. Um, we might do a mini-sode later down the road if the new movie ever comes out, you know, within our lifetime. Um, uh, so thank you for sticking through. What was supposed to, I think, be originally eight episodes, we've cut it down to six, I believe. Um, I never keep track of this stuff. But thank you, John, for doing this series with me. Yes. Hopefully I'm not silly enough to go and decide to do another one of these, watch an entire franchise no. back to back to back. That's insane. Why oh. would we do something like that? I don't know. Maybe like uh, another series uh, that's had reboots and overhauls and other people playing the same thing. I, I, I can't imagine that ever happening. Well, I mean, like, what if we attempted Star Trek? That seems like a stupid idea. <laughs> Shit, what I walk myself into. <laughs> <laughs> it is the 40th anniversary, so... Hey, guys, Watkins! Um, we're not going to come up with a new name for it. I, I realize this whole James Bond debacle with it uh, turned out and there's tons of other people with the name. Because it originally started off as, for your ears only, a James podcast, or James Bondcast, thinking, I'm so original, I'm so clever. No, I'm not at all. And so it just became an issue. So these are just going to be moved over to Video Night... Uh, we're just going to do Franchise Frenzy episodes, so we're going to do the Star Trek episodes, uh, we decide, what, four? Four episodes we're going to do? Yeah, yeah, I think that's how it bounced how it bound, bound out, three or four. Then we're going to do The Crow, uh, for those, because it's the 25th anniversary of The Crow, and then we're going to spend the rest of the year just doing Kaiju, mixing up some comic book stuff in the middle, uh, for Comics on Infinite Earths, which is a show I keep thinking I'm going to cancel because other people keep fucking me over. <laughs> John, you've been the only consistent one, but I rarely have time to utilize you. Yeah, I know. It's like I've got I've got books that we've talked about oh, waiting. Yeah, I just yeah. have yet to dip into them. <laughs> God, in the time that we talked about it six weeks ago, I have two huge stacks of new comics. And I'm just like, I, I can't get anybody to get it together. I gave someone Aquaman and Hawkman comics, like old school ones. And to do back in November. November. It is almost March. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, not, not fair. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. So check us out on Video Night uh, on Facebook. Retro Rock Entertainment on Twitter. And that is it for this series. We'll be back. Uh, technically, the minute I get done recording, we're going to start doing the Star Trek episodes. But you don't know that. So <laughs> whatever. A couple weeks later. <laughs> all right. See you all, everybody. All right. Have a good night. <laughs>